Welcome to As the Wheel of Time Turns, where we unravel the weavings of Amazon's Wheel of Time. I am BJ. I am your new host, uh, since our old host has forsaken us, sort of. He's still with us. Ha! How are you doing, so Blake? good. Forsaken <laughs> us. I'm good. I'm here. I'm hyped. This is the Landfear episode. This is what I wanted. I am. You're going to get high energy from me today. Uh, you seem to be over the moon. Sarah, how's it going? I'm, I am probably not quite doing, not quite as well as Lee, uh, because I'm not quite the Lanfear fan he is. However, we did get a fair amount of Ishamael here, uh, and that is my forsaken of choice. A little bit more up your alley. Uh, you know, Lanfear is a very, uh, compelling character, you might say. How's it going, Bray? It's going pretty well. I am also on the Lanfear train. She was extremely distracting this episode. BJ, how are you doing? Uh, I'm doing well. (laughs) I'm glad to be in the hot seat again and uh, driving this uh, mad boat in the West, shall we say. Um, we have some segments. Uh, Lee does our recap, uh, which yeah. we've shortened up since uh, some of the early episodes this season. Uh, streamlined it a little bit. Then we do uh, some best lines of the episode where uh, Bree makes all the decisions there. Uh, the queen of the best line, shall we say. Then we talk about. And our I think with that one, we've character. decided. And I think with that one, we decided it was like best line or best scene, just sort of like the best like snippet of the episode that we liked, yeah. right? We yeah. all have. And then we all kind of pick one, and then whatever Brie lands on typically is the winner. Exactly. Yeah, I like it. Um, and then, you know, favorite character, which I think uh, we have a spoiler for Lee. I don't think he's going to change uh, between now and the end of the episode. And then after that. Uh, <laughs> nope. Bree and I will will talk about some uh, interesting little tidbits that we had in the episode that are more uh, sort of foreshadowing of of books later, much later in the books. Uh, <laughs> and uh, we'll go over that. Uh, go over that then. We uh, things trying to stay frosty here. All right. So uh, I, we've moved a little bit away from how things are changed from the books, just because like this is. This is a very wildly different show, um, and I think where they're differing is uh, been been good this this season. They they've really uh, started coming to their into their own, uh, uh, gotten their beard as it were. Yeah, I agree with that. I think um, I, I you know I'm ready to sort of proclaim now because like I we're, we're covering episode four, Daughter of the Night. We have seen everybody but Sarah on this podcast has seen through episode seven, so through the penultimate episode. Yeah. Um, Really speaking a little bit more to BJ and Bree here, because y'all have seen later episodes, I won't spoil any of the plot stuff, but I will say that like I have come around to like this is probably the the real successor to Game of Thrones. Like this is probably the show that's really gonna do it. Like the jump that it has gone through this season and like where we're at now. Like I'm seeing, and I'm, and it's, it's not just like me in a vacuum, like yelling at my TV, like this is great. Like I'm seeing it online too. I'm seeing a lot of like tweets and like Instagram posts to people being like. Why is everybody sleeping on Wheel of Time? Why is Wheel of Time the greatest television show out there that nobody knows about it? Like, that's the stuff you start hearing before it starts to become like a national thing. And I think by the time we're in season three or four, I could be wrong, but I think by the time we're in season three or four, I think it's going to be like a household name television show at at the level of Game of Thrones. I think this is the true successor to that show. You know, Game of Thrones did the House of the Dragon um, sort of follow-on. That's a short, tight prequel story that's only mm-hmm. going to be about three seasons. My understanding is this thing could go seven, eight, nine seasons if they if they play the whole thing out. Yeah. I think it's going to catch fire. People are, are really going to 
gonna flock to this show. It's 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 gotten extremely good, and I think it's the next big fantasy sh- show, uh, in my opinion. I think so, you're we're also gonna see like the Machete Order, uh, like Star Wars s thing going on, where they're just like, all right, watch, you know, season one, episode like two through six, and then like this part of episode seven, and like if you really want to, you can go back and like watch, you know, this chunk of one. And then, you know, start here in season two and like, we'll edit these parts out because, you know, we nobody don't like ever that. needs exactly. to watch that again. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's like they did their they did their Game of Thrones season eight. They just did it in season one. Like they got their bad season out <laughs> right. of the way. Unfortunately, and, they got renewed because. Yeah. yeah, well, as the, long, yeah, as long as you get renewed objectively, that's the better way to go about right. it. I well, think yeah. right. well, what's so interesting to me is that Amazon seems committed to telling the story regardless of the season one issues because mm-hmm. they filmed and produced season two and it was ready to go and they renewed it for season three before season two premiered. Yep. Now, I think Amazon was able to enough of it had been put together that they were able to see the jump in quality, right? They were getting yeah. a lot of like uh they were getting visibility into some of the episodes before they came out obviously but i think that them despite the season one issues renewing it for season two and then renewing it for season three so quickly tells me they're probably committed to telling this story long term and that's going to help it too because like think about when game of thrones caught fire it was in like season five six seven you know Mm -hmm. people like a bingeable show i think by the time this gets to about season four you're going to see a lot of people going back, binging the first three seasons, and there will be a big, big hype train on this show. I, I think they've they've got a great story here, and they're telling it really well. I sure hope that's truly. I guess one thing that worries me a little bit is there. I feel like the advertising has really dropped off um, this season. <laughs> yeah. You know, like we didn't get packages with Wheel of Time tape on it, right? Like we did last time. Um, it doesn't come up on the front page of Amazon stuff, so. You know, I am a little bit worried that they don't seem to be putting the energy into promoting it, which I'm a little bit confused about that perception versus we already renewed it for season three. We're clearly invested. Like, why not really push it I think, in the advertising? I think that what you see with that is a bit of a, a trailing relationship, right? Like the the quality of season one and the reception of season one likely influenced the marketing budget for season mm-hmm. two. Ooh, the, sure, the reception, okay. the reception and quality of season two will likely affect the marketing budget of season three. So I think what we'll, we're going to see is Amazon kind of reinvest in circulating this, this show, I hope, uh, because even though you're, you're absolutely right. It, it like, People, there's a lot of people like who come online like, wait a second, Wheel of Time is back. I, I had no idea, <laughs> right? Because it's not, you know, not been advertised, not anywhere on their Amazon homepage. Uh, I, I still think that like it's been number one or two during the entire run on mm-hmm. Amazon Prime for like now like five weeks, four or five weeks. Mm-hmm. So that's that's certainly that's a heck of a that's yeah. a heck of an accomplishment for a show that's not getting any push by the network right. really. Yeah. So, no, that's uh, that's fair. They might be being very reactive about their marketing. Mm-hmm. And, that and might then be just constrained. And then did the writer and actor strike have an effect on like promotion. in-person promotion mm-hmm. and stuff sure. like that? So you weren't seeing any of that. That's a great um, point. The, you, the 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 sort of free promotion that they the networks usually get, which is just the actors going out and doing the talk circuits, doing the podcast, all that stuff. Right. They weren't getting any of that, right? But there are actors who are committed to doing that. I know specifically. Um, I always forget her name. Rosamund Pike. Rosamund Pike has talked about when the actor strike is done, wanting to promote the show that she believes in the show. She really likes it. And uh, I believe the guy who plays Perrin 
also has, mm-hmm. has talked a lot about wishing he could do some more promotion to push the show because he believes in it. Mm-hmm. He believes in the quality of it now. So um, anyway, I'm glad we're kind of having this discussion to start this episode because I feel like with when I, I watched the first three episodes, and I was like, man, this thing really jumped. This has yeah. gotten a lot better. And I watched episode four and I was like, okay, now I'm like almost in like countdown the hours till the next episode. <laughs> like, that, it, right. it, it even, it's like a, it's a diff, it's mm-hmm. definitely another level of viewing experience for me now where it's like, as soon as I can get my hands on it, I watch it, which has never been the case for this show yeah. before this episode for me. Yeah. Uh, there's a scene in this episode uh, that we'll probably mostly talk about after the pod, unfortunately, where I was just like, oh, oh, they're they're putting that in. Oh, that's super, that's that's an interesting way to go about like what something that they did in the books with Lanfear and mm. uh, like the power of the dark one and things like that. And if it's super subtle and it's one of those things that's like, oh, this is creepy and cool. Um, it's the scene where she's sort of coming back to life. There's like a, a little nod to like something that happens in the books, like really, really late on. Uh, All right. Well, you're really getting close to that. Yeah, yeah. but I, we, I can, I can attest, I yeah, can attest that I, we don't know any, anything he's saying. Um, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, gotcha. I like that they're doing that. Uh, and I like that they're trying to bring book readers back mm-hmm. into it a little yeah. bit. And, and that's the other thing that I was going to say is I have a bunch of friends that read the books that we consistently read like the entire series up to the book that was coming out through like mm. throughout our teenage to twenties as it, and you know, it was coming. And uh, most of my friends that did that aren't watching season two because they were so put off by season one, which, sure. you know, to be fair, you know, like, I if get it. we weren't doing this podcast, I probably wouldn't have been watching these episodes when they came out. I'd be like, eh, I'll watch them at some point. Like, uh, it, I probably would have. That's Good. Which means he probably would have. <laughs> Brie has been excited about this yeah. uh, season two since the very beginning. She is the stalwart. Yes, of, <laughs> she, she is. Yeah. Of Wheel of Time hype man. Uh, but <laughs> I mean, I'm trying this to... was like my, my favorite series growing up. So like, it was mine too, but at some point, I don't really care if something is crap. I'm still gonna watch it because it's related to the thing that really. That's loves. yeah. There's a nostalgic factor. Yeah, to right. these uh, these but... are the two like uber fan reactions right, exactly. to anything, though, right? Yeah, well, yeah. you listen, have I'm somebody a... who's like, I will devour anything that is vaguely related, and one that's like, ooh, that was not that good. Well, I'm so th- there's a third, which is I probably would have watched it eventually, but I have friends that were like, we weren't going to watch it maybe if we had nothing to do for some time. And I was like, you actually probably should watch season two. Like it's understand that it's a different story, but it's good television. And they're getting more comfortable with it. Yeah. I saw, so I, I have now started devouring like these like, um, fan book, fantasy, television, fantasy, YouTube personalities that like put out 20, 30 minute explanatory videos about fantasy worlds. Like all the backstory you need to know about wheel of time before watching the TV series. Here's 25 minutes, right? I've devoured all that stuff. One guy said a thing and can't tell if it's the most cringeworthy fucking thing (laughs) or, or if it's like, like weirdly kind of on point. He, he was talking about how, the world the world works right in wheel of time how there's the the turning of the wheel and there's seven ages and then the age will come again and that's it the, the famous words before yeah, every one right. of the books about you know the age that whatever whatever uh, you know it, it comes mm-hmm. again and 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 it becomes the memories sort of fade as the new age comes again right yeah and he said he considers 
the the television show like a new turning of the wheel of the books like mm-hmm. it's a new it's it's this it's similar right these are the yeah. same characters but it's just a different kind of turning of the wheel for the story mm-hmm. and i thought man that's either so fucking hack and cringy <laughs> or a really good way to explain it uh, can't, he's can't just tell. totally stolen that yeah i, I mean they're they're well. that's been a that's been a thing for I okay mean, well good then, yes, then early yeah, season one yeah. i think brandon Sanderson. uh Rafe and Sanderson both said basically treat this as a different turning of the wheel. Hmm, okay. Well, good. So, like, he's not wrong. I still think like, it's a little cringy, even though Sanderson his. said it. And mm-hmm. I'm not sure Sanderson saying it t- takes it out of cringe for me. But it, I don't know. It does, it does kind of explain, like, you know, and, and George R. R. Martin tried to do the same thing with Game of Thrones. He's like, look, you have the book canon and you have show canon. And I said that to my podcast co-host Spencer and his head fucking exploded and he wanted to throw his computer against the wall. <laughs> but I was like, that's kind of the idea. Two different stories and there, there's canon, there's what to believe in one part of that story and what to believe in another. Um, yeah. All right, anything else before we jump to the recap? I think I'm ready to Let's do have it. you take it away. Episode four, Daughter of the Night, a.k.a. Celine, a.k.a. Lanfear, a.k.a. Moonhunter, a.k.a. Selvie. Oh, that's right. <laughs> a lot of names for it. Anyway, we get a lot of Land and Moraine in the previously on. Rand and Celine, um, you'll help me remember and I'll help you forget. We got that, that 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 line, I'll help you remember. You'll help me remember, I'll help you forget. I pointed out in the recap about being really excited um, about that line. And I couldn't, because Sarah was watching week by week, I couldn't say exactly why I was excited, but I felt like it was such good writing. I'm here now, it's fine. <laughs> yeah, and it's, it takes also the, the reference of defeating the dark, not defeating the dark one, setting the strongest lieutenant free and then actually moraine had said this which i did not know until this recap or i guess i knew but i'd forgotten um shamael may be awakening the other forsaken so she actually does warn mm-hmm. Rand that this could happen right uh we start with shamael and then so the scene that we get here is shamael basically waking up or breaking out of uh breaking land fear out of her cage or where she had been held prison and we get this sort of creepy, like, uncurling, sort of like, been in a ball, been in a prison, been in a cage, uncurling of land fear. And we get that scene. And then he says the the sort of words that I believe are a part of the poem that Moraine got from the traitor that land stole that uh, Elena, uh, Elena gets her hands on this episode, which is blood feeds blood, blood calls blood, blood is, blood was, and blood shall ever be. And there she is. Mm-hmm. We get her back of land fear. We're all better for it. Yeah. To to a, a point you've been making on uh, this season, BJ, the horror vibes are strong here. And for me, I've been a little back and forth on whether I have really seen that. But this episode for me was like, okay, yes, I'm there. I've got it. Uh, we are we're deep in horror here. Yeah. It 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 was like, oh, if you didn't already know, here's a carry callback. Let's mm-hmm. let's make sure you understand. Yep. But I loved it. It was super effective. Yeah. Cool. Then we get the title sequence. Um, Anavir. Get, then we get Anavir, right? She, I like how they gave like a, they did a lot to show us like how much effort she puts into presenting herself and how important that is for her current role. I think that was, they were really trying to drive that home that this is her work, right? This is what, this is what she does. And uh, then I, Moraine comes in. I think they also are doing a really good job of highlighting how old she is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And just like, yeah. like you can tell that she's older in the other scenes that we've seen her in, but this sort of just highlights how 
taxing it is to look the way she does. And even that's like, she's older, but this is, this like evokes a, like an almost frail old, as opposed to like the old that we had at the party, which was just like an older stateswoman. Yeah. A stately matron. And then they, you know, Moraine's entrance, they, they do a lot in the writing to make sure you understand that Moraine's aging has slowed because of her connection to the one power because she's specifically called her older sister. Mm-hmm. She comes in, she speaks to Anavir as her younger sister. And they kind of have this like tension between them because Moraine basically just wants to like college student this thing, like come in, <laughs> drop off drop laundry, laundry, fucking hit the road, you know, a place to Get sleep. And Anavir's yep. like, what the fuck? I haven't seen you in like 40 years. How about you sit down and have some tea with me? Moraine says, hmm, maybe some lunch. I that uh, that may perhaps some lunch. That perhaps is, I will tell you, Moraine and Midwestern for I want no parts of any of that. In Thank fact, you. Never. <laughs> if I can get out of it, we will never have lunch. Yes. No. Um, um, one thing I did love about the scene with Anavir getting ready and things that I picked up on the second rewatch is all those brushes that it kind of focuses on are all from her and it's her studio where she paints. And I just like I, mm-hmm. I liked yep. that as an as an expansion of her character that presumably she is the one who has painted those portraits that are in that little scene and then potentially well, around the house. Mm-hmm. The other right. thing that Brie picked up on, and I still am not picking up on this, but I'm just dense, I guess, that um, it's when okay, you don't flip. Uh, exactly uh, when Anver um, is sitting there getting ready you hear Moraine's music. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Oh, yeah, interesting. I like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's smart. I also did not catch that. Uh, good, 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 good takeaway. All Can right. I ask, in the scene when she has settled into her bench um, by the window, into her window seat, they focus on the window for a minute. Like, I think, I thought pretty pointedly. And it looked to me like there was some sort of design in the window itself um, that was reminiscent of a bee. Is there anything with their family and bees or am i just seeing things that aren't there i, think I mean you're who just knows where things. they're gonna take things but no i there's yeah. nothing with this family and bees that i would think okay there might be bees other places then we have a scene with rand and celine where rand is starting to try to rebuild her <laughs> her hotel one scoop of dirt at a time and she just sort of jokes him about that uh jokes with him about that jokes about uh having some people come and I guess she's not joking about this. She is saying that she has some people who are going to come and rebuild the, rebuild the inn for her. But throughout the conversation, I guess what I'm struggling with is throughout the conversation, she's being very lighthearted with him, joking, flirting. She talks about wanting to get away while they rebuild the end. And there's a, like a cabin that her parents have. Rand's like, I can't go. And she's kind of like, oh, okay. All right. Well, we'll, <laughs> I'll take that as like strike one, but I'll I'll pitch we'll again, right? Like that. I yeah, I don't think she <laughs> mm-hmm. took that as like a as a as a firm no. But again, you know, kind of a sweet moment with the two of them where Rand is all in his feelings. Cut to Nynaeve and she's reliving the arches. She gets a knock at the door. We get this this scene with Egwene and Nynaeve, and it just seems like there's some distance between them. Do, why do we think there's distance between them? I mean, I feel like there's two like real major Reasons on the table. One is Nynaeve hearing Egwene talking shit about her before she went in the arches. But the other is just like Nynaeve's general 
disassociation with reality post arches, right? She seems very sullen and out of it. What what do we think's the driver here for her being so cold to Egwene? I mean, I don't know that you can disentangle both of the either of those. Um, I think that with the stuff that she went through with the arches, the other thing to keep in mind is to her, essentially there were years the past, right? So like that also plays into it and the fact that in in the arches Egwene went off and did her Aes Sedai thing and basically just left them all to deal. And so I think there's also some sense of abandonment from the imaginary Egwene as well. Yeah, yeah, that sounds right. There's a chunk of me that Nynaeve is not, this is not out of character from book Nynaeve. And so some of me is just like, ah, that's just how Nynaeve always is. Like, I don't know what to tell you guys. But, like, I, I think that ascribing more depth to her character is, makes sense in, in the context of the show. Uh, but, but, yeah, she's uh, prickly. Yeah, she's prickly for sure. But she's particularly distant with Egwene here. And they yeah. made a point of showing that Egwene hugs her and she doesn't hug her back, right? Like, they wanted us to focus on that scene, I think. Right. Yeah, I think, you know, for me, it's a lot. I, I think it's a lot of... Um, what she experienced in the arches you know i asked you all on our last episode if if it became a thing that Nynaeve had been in the arches for what amounted to her for years and you all sort of hedged about it um for me and we get the as as lee and Mm -hmm. spencer say on other podcasts we get the sentence explanation here like yes that fucked her up and now she's like her time is fucked right now yeah she does say that and she Mm -hmm. makes it clear that she spent years in there yeah i mean i guess I feel like that, I guess the reason I was hedging, and I think we all were, is like, by the end of the episode, they're like, eh, it, like it, it, it doesn't seem to have driven a permanent wedge, or, or like a more permanent wedge that like five years of trauma, essentially unspooling immediately would have, uh, I guess, in relation to your question. That, I guess that's sort of how I was thinking of it. Because like, by the end, they're like, all right, well, like, yeah, gonna, sure. Yeah. Yeah, they're going to be okay, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that probably the, as Leandrin points out, like, the pain fades, the memories fade, or some of that goes away. Mm -hmm. And so, like, it's probably not quite as impactful as if she had actually lived that time. Yeah, okay, I got you. Yeah, you know, knowing that she really did spend years in there, I I have to go back a little bit, like, it, it, it more, I'm more firmly rooted in my read of that situation, which was that, the arches were basically trying, the weave was trying to spit her back out. Like she was in there for years and they, they Mm -hmm. ended up presenting her with a situation and then throwing the arches at her that like, it would make sense. Like all hell's breaking loose there. The way to save her child is to grab the child, run through the arches. She was presented with a situation that got her back on the pattern where she's supposed to be. So it, it, yeah. Cause I was just thinking like, now that we know that she's, but she was in there for years, like, what it would take to get her out of there, right? Like just just the arches appearing wouldn't have been enough. No, like, it wasn't enough the first time. No, it was it was all of the everybody's dead. Yeah, and now and no. her daughter is threatened. Her right, right. Threatened. Yeah. right. So it, it it presented her with a situation to try to get her out of there, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's anyway. That's kind of how I, I see that now. So we get this scene with Lan, who's dressed very very differently this episode. Yeah, it's a different Lan look. Uh, he's, he's got his hair <laughs> so down. So much color. <laughs> It's a little mm-hmm. uncomfortable, to be honest. You don't like him. his look? You don't like Lan's look? I think Alana I don't think he likes his look. <laughs> might have been playing a little Ken doll here. Yes. Like, 
She's just like, if you're going to be part of this foursome, you need you to like, look gotta, the part. You got to look the part. Yep. Yeah. I don't think you're saying foursome like like on the golf course. I don't think you're saying like just, <laughs> just the four of us pals. I don't think that's how you're using that term. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, they might be palling around. Yeah, it does seem like uh, like Bedlam around Elena. I mean, she's just like all hell's breaking loose. So anyway, this scene with Lan where he's around Maxim and Yvonne and there's kids around and, and Nynaeve's just, or not Nynaeve, um, uh, Elena's just trying to feed him. She's like old grandmother. <laughs> like, let's just get some pork and grits in you and you're going to fucking be fine, you know. And then we get this uh, conversation after he goes out to pee with Lan and Elena and Elena is trying to do the thing that I was trying to do in season one, which was like, Hey man, you can like sub out, like you can go be Nynaeve's warder. Now she said, Nynaeve is going into the arch as fast as anyone's done it since Cat Swain said, I, so she's, she's going to be free soon. Right. She's hinting. Yeah. like You could, you could partner up with her. She's trying to give him a way forward that doesn't include Moraine basically. And, uh, Lan, Lan is still clearly hung up on Moraine because he, uh, is, negative about this idea he doesn't outright say no that he wouldn't be Nynaeve's warder but he's he, he certainly didn't bite right yeah. and he says i don't want to say the make the same mistakes again yeah mm-hmm. which is a weird it's not a no but it's basically like i'm not interested at this moment that's yeah. kind of how i took it yeah and then they get into conversation about how moraine used to be different about 20 years ago might want to mm. remember that date a very specific thing occurred 20 mm. years ago we might want to think about because that's how it's presented here elena says basically she changed 20 years ago. She came different. Lan said, was she ever happy? And uh, <laughs> Lena speaking for all of us says, we don't know if Moraine was ever happy. Can't see it. I mean, can't quite see it. Well, okay. So we had some scenes in season one where hopefully she was happy because she was with a... Uh, swan. Swanchen? Swan? Swan? Swan Sanchi. Swan Sanchi. Her, That's different than the sentient. It is, yeah. That's different Which than is the, s- the sentient people who have yeah. the long fingernails. That's different. Correct. Which are friends, not food. Mm, I'm pretty sure they're foods. So. Uh-huh. Uh, but yeah. Okay. So then we get Moraine putting on a dress. She's still rocking the blue Aja dress. Sarah, do you like the dress? I love this version of it the dress. Beautiful. This makes me so happy. So, Sarah, I have a question about the top that she was wearing. Like oh, underneath the blue dress? Yeah. yeah, I couldn't tell. I meant to pause it and look closer. But ask your question. I have thoughts on the top. Uh, it was. It looked of a particular style and make. And I didn't... Like, it didn't look like other things that people have been wearing in the show. Yeah. And so it was just like a... I feel like Sarah should have an opinion on this. And I don't really... It looked almost like, um, like a, a coarse knit. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Top, but like much more, uh, but delicate. Much more delicate and, and and firm in like how, like the, I don't know, almost waffling came together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what I think it probably was, um, because I was thinking it was some sort of knit too, which I have historically had problems with uh, some of the knits that have been displayed in the costumes on this show before. A little too nice. A little, well, a little too nice. Also mixed with other types of fabric weirdly in ways that would not Ah, be uh possible without machine sewing um but this was really interesting i think that it was some sort of like probably some sort of fine silk thread that was or 
thread or yarn that was knit in, um, to your point, a really sort of delicate pattern. So it appeared coarse, but it was actually, it almost, it's almost more like chain mail, right? It almost had like a mithril look to it yeah. underneath, mm -hmm. underneath her dress. Yeah. Um, I mean, being, it, like, it, it makes sense that it could have been something very fine, and then, like, you knit a bunch, purl a bunch, and so you get this, like, mm -hmm. uh, mesh pattern. Yeah, I think it's a created texture, but I didn't get the chance to pause and look in closer, so it might have been a particular type of material. I don't know, but I thought it looked dope. Okay, so that's the, the dress. And it's interesting, as Sarah it was in the dress, I was as interested in this conversation that she ends up having with <laughs> Loghane. Uh, because she goes through the town, and then she ends up where Rand works. And she says, let me speak to him. And she gets a we get a conversation with Moraine and Loghain. Mm -hmm. Loghain post uh, being stilled, uh, or I guess gentled, and then Moraine post being stilled, right? So we have both of them now uh, unable to touch the one power, talking to each other, although he doesn't. We don't think he knows that about Moraine, right? When he's talking to that her. That was my yeah. question, is whether he actually knows or doesn't know, or do we know if he knows we, or doesn't? We don't know. What do you think? I didn't get the impression that he knew because he was not treating her any differently. Yeah. Uh, right. Well, he was. Yeah, it's true. And um, he also was pretty pissed off at her, right? Because he's angry at her. He blames yeah. her for being gentled. But they have a conversation where, in effect, she's like, hey, how about this? Rand is working here and you see him. I know that. Like, I already know all that. Please train him. You need to train him. Do it. Do it. Do it now. And if you do it, I will give you the relief that you seek. And she kind of flashes a knife at him. I took that. Y'all correct me if y'all had a different impression. I took that as her saying, I will give you the opportunity to kill yourself. Yeah. Um, if you mm -hmm. will help Rand with how to do this. And my understanding of some of the book lore, and this is where I start to get over my skis a little, is that like a lot of these um patterns and weavings that they create when they're doing when they're channeling take time it you have to learn specifically how, even if you have a ton of power you still have to know like kind of like the combination to the safe for particular actions right and so like mm -hmm. his knowledge is pretty valuable i feel like and that might be you know the purpose of moraine's visit because also he he's channeling in a way that she does not. I think that the the yeah. lore very much. The book hasn't done it, or the show hasn't done a, a ton to differentiate these. I think there was a slight reference to it in season one, but how um, sighting and sight are right, like the the male ability to channel and the female ability to channel are different things. Mm -hmm. And so, like the way Moraine does it, she can't one for one teach Rand that way. Right. Yeah. And that that's backstory that I'm not sure I would have gotten if I hadn't like gotten obsessed with this and done a bunch of deep dives on it. But I feel like it's helpful. Yeah. yeah. I think it's super helpful. I think uh, we might get a little bit more later in the season. Like, it would have been... They had a tiny bit of it in the extras in season one mm -hmm. where they talked about Sidar and, like, opening yourself up to the flower and stuff like that. But they didn't have the same thing for Sidin. And I think they're consciously doing that to make it more mysterious. Um, and... The male channeling ability? Yeah. The, yeah. The, yeah, the male one power. Because... Uh, they do it a little bit more in the books where uh, they basically say, you know, as teaching a male to channel is like a, a fish trying to teach a bird to fly or yeah. something like mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's like, and yes, uh, the uh, fact that Loghain does know how to do some things is super important. The other thing that they've, I think, hinted about in the show is that trying this is dangerous 
like you know this is kind of akin to uh chemistry back in the day where you try and isolate something and sometimes it'd kill you but now that we know that and know how to do it safely it's not as much of a problem and as somebody long can as teach you, you right as long as somebody's there to teach you that you know that knows what they're doing yeah because i think that like uh some casual fans were like well why the hell doesn't moraine just train him and it's like well that because of this you know sighting side art the differences mm-hmm. uh between those and that like what she does, she can't just one for one teach him. I do wish the show would say that a little more explicitly because I, I could see how people might get confused about that. But um, because I know that, uh, it I do like this idea that we've reintroduced Loghain for this purpose. I will say though that like this scene for me, I I am interested in Loghain as a character, and I do think that he has a lot that he can teach Rand, and I hope that we get more of their interactions with each other moving forward. But like this scene for me really hit home that Loghain is the guy who thinks he's the smartest guy in the room, mm-hmm. and he's actually kind of dumb. Like he's behind the eight ball a lot. Uh, in this conversation. And I think it's because of his, like, it might be because of the madness. It might be because of some like inherent selfishness, but he is not, he is not with it in this conversation when it takes him explicitly being told by Moraine that Moraine sent Rand to him here. And he like found this information bizarre. There were a couple of moments where I was like, Oh, Oh, you're not that bright. Got it. Well, he's got to start to be piecing some things together, right? Because he did talk to Rand and he did say he knew that Rand could channel, right? Um, and now Moraine has come asking about him. Uh, he he agreed he's not the he's not the brightest guy in the show, <laughs> but I'm sure he's starting to piece together there's something to this Rand guy. So the other thing that they don't make as obvious that they did a little bit in this episode is how suicidal Logan is. Yeah. Um, and how encompassing that that is just in general. They, they you know they make some mentions of it with Moraine um, at in terms of like other women being stilled uh, mm-hmm. and what often happens. Also, you know they're worried about it with Lan. Um, but I guess again, you know, because we've read the books, like it's it's a lot more explicit there. But I think that they're trying to. Uh, do some of it, but not so much that people find it uh, unpleasant. Because yeah, yeah you would you don't want to focus on that too much. That's a tough. That's a tough subject. Yeah, right. it, it's a super tough subject, and they do it does get a lot more play in the books. But like, I think that how you can do that in the books. You can do that in the books, but like, I think the treating that if it's so obvious how bad off Logan is. And then, like, you think about Moraine being like, I'm going to control you by offering the opportunity for you to kill yourself. Mm-hmm. Is a Real lot pleasant. more disturbing if he if that's, like, an obsession of his. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, I agree with you. Um, sorry, did you, were you, was your point done? I didn't mean to cut you off. Uh, pretty much. It, the, the last bit I was going to say is, so, Sarah, like, you're saying, like, he's not the smartest person in the room. Like, there's could be this other reason that he's not like as with it as he was because he was like the the head of an army basically the king of a nation not too long ago so sure yeah and that's you know i i I recognize that this is not necessarily 
there are a lot of extenuating circumstances for why this could be, but like it is becoming more my my overarching point is yeah. that he thinks he's smarter than he is and there's there's nothing more dangerous than somebody with a 160 IQ thinking they have a 170 IQ. Yeah. That's yeah, fair. That, that's fair. You know, I I think another thing to consider with him is he's a little further along in the QBJ laughing in the taint. He's a little farther <laughs> along than Rand is, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, he might have just drove himself crazy by channeling as much as he did. Um, and and then, yeah, I, I another thing that I noticed with that, two, two final things on this scene, because I, I really loved, I love this scene. I like any scene with this actor, really. But um, one is Moraine, the little comment she made about some of the Ajas wanting to study him. Mm-hmm. The yellow Ajas, I think she said, mm-hmm. wanted to study him Brown. specifically. Mm-hmm. That is a really interesting detail to me that I wish, and I, I, you know, maybe we'll get it, but I wish I knew a little bit more about what the specific Ajas do and why they would want to basically study him. What is the what is the point of this? Because my understanding is that after the breaking, when breaking of the world, when men had this this taint, the men who could channel had this taint, right? That drove them crazy. They just slowly got rid of all the male channelers. Like this was a a long thing that the I said right. I did, and it's not like they have been want for you know men who have been gentled, right? Like they've seen a lot of that. They've had to deal with a lot of that. Why is Logan interesting to them specifically? I wonder. So uh, we're getting into to real weeds here. Uh, but weeds that I think you might be interested in. So genetic weeds, uh, kind of. So uh-huh. uh, uh, this doesn't spoil anything that I can think of. Uh, Watch out! Look out! Spoilers. Uh, <laughs> it, this is a conversation that could come up later, but like it, I, I don't think it's, it's a big not deal. plot relevant. Yeah. So uh, it, it it's been a long time since the breaking, and three thousand years. Uh, a couple thousand years. Three thousand sounds right. And there have been fewer and fewer male channelers. And so... Uh, what happens when you call for a certain trait? Right. And well, so one of the going theories is that they're breeding out uh, channeling. There are fewer female channelers as well, as well mm-hmm. as male channelers. And they're weaker. Um, and they're Yes, and they're weaker. So they're weaker than the Forsaken. The Forsaken had happened to be the strongest like channelers back Fuck then. yeah they are but <laughs> but they weren't like they weren't wildly like outsized better than everybody else yeah i mean the, yeah was, i yeah that was my understanding yeah that, that makes sense to me right that they were they were like head of the class but still in the class like they were yeah. still they were, they were kind of among equals but maybe a little bit better than some of their peers right right um and so that the other thing that they talk a little bit about about weapons against the dark and uh is that there were more like people naming themselves the dragon. And I think we get this in a later episode that they talk a tiny bit more about this, but basically there aren't many male channelers that they mm-hmm. find some die um, that they had one in the beginning of um, episode one was a little bit of a surprise to me, but very much in the books, it's like, it's super rare for them to find somebody who can channel, who can channel strongly uh, enough more than just like, a surprise and most often they kill themselves because they don't know what they're doing and right. it's a mm-hmm. super dangerous power and so to have somebody in their control means that the Aes Sedai that are most concerned with knowledge and 
information, the browns, and the ones that are concerned with health, healing, diseases, the yellows, are really interesting. Okay, so I guess the, the, the thing I said that was wrong was I said they're not want for individuals, men who have been gentled. The, actually, these Aes Sedai are. are. Yeah. Now, the Aes Sedai right. for the last 3,000 years are not. They, they've fucking gentled a ton of guys. But these specific women probably haven't seen much of this. Right. So from the histories, it's unclear if the men around the breaking were gentled uh, because... No, they all went crazy and broke the continued to break the world until they killed themselves and those that they love. That was some of them, right? But then yeah. as time went on, there was a lot of gentling that happened over, right? Right. right. Like, and, well, and, there's a specific, like the the men who were involved in the breaking and went mad yes. around that time. But I don't know exactly that how many of those broke the world and went crazy and killed themselves versus were act, actually gentled. Okay. Yeah. But certainly uh, descendants, right? Like all of the right. people since then. They've been successfully culling people, and also the Aes Sedai aren't having children generally, despite Leandrin. <laughs> so they're also not producing these genetics. Right. And then the other question you have to ask yourself is, if a red is out in the middle of nowhere and gentles somebody, Does are they going to you no. know, bring them back to the tower and make sure they're well cared for? No. And I guess then the question becomes, why did they do that with Loghain, right? Um, maybe because of the... He, he was such a, he had, like you said, he had an army. He was, in essence, yeah, a king. So, so it was so high, public, prof- essentially. high profile like, yeah, that they yeah. felt like yeah. they needed to do that. Because they, they couldn't, even though he had been gentled, it was still dangerous to leave him out and about. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, think I could see that. It's because he declared himself the dragon reborn. So mm. there there have been. Swing and a miss. <laughs> uh, I, I j- in the books. That's one of the main reasons that this happens. I sure. don't remember if they had they said that in the show, um, but that makes sense to me. That, yeah, if he he's claimed yeah. to be the Dragon Reborn, they're they're a little bit more hands on in their approach. Yes, yeah, and, yeah, and that I, makes sense. I think that's why they are so caught up in they gentled him on the spot rather than taking him to the tower. And I think mm. we get a little bit more insight into that in an episode or two. So I think we sure. should leave that there. Yeah, well, and then that, that was that was a great discussion in season one, right? Like their decision to do that instead of bring him back. They they exactly. really did flesh that yeah. out in season one. Yep. We, yeah. we talked shit about season one a lot, but it did do some some interesting things. That was one of them, I mm-hmm. felt like. Yeah. Um, all right. So I'm glad we spent a lot of time on that because this next scene we need to spend no time on. It's Egwene <laughs> complaining to Elaine. Cut to the word. I the... do want to just oh, comment. No. I've said this each time that we have watched this. Those girls are terrible at mopping and somebody needs to teach them because that was the worst mopping I have ever seen in my life. Can I just say this? You you make a great point, Brie. Mopping is not sweeping. It's a skill. It's not sweeping, right? Sweeping, anybody right. can do. You push yep. the thing one way. Mm. Mopping, you need a particular technique. Somebody needs to teach you. Otherwise, you're pushing dirty water they around. They have to rain you are, you are. They didn't just... They just slopped it on the floor and then we're just kind of swirling it around. I was very judgmental. Because there were no horses point. in this episode, she she couldn't focus on them and be judgmental about them. We found mopping. You have to be judgmental about something. I think it's a great I think it's a great lesson out there. If you if you if you've never mopped before and you're you're thinking of mopping, ask someone for help. Because there's a specific just, way you have to do it. Just stick to the Swiffers. Yeah, right. the Swiffers are good too. I like this. Although, uh, do you think that they had Swiffers back in uh well, they have they have a lot of magic. Surely someone could magic up a swiffer. Uh, but 
Using yeah. magic doesn't uh, build character. No, but it does produce yeah. quality or floors. How about, <laughs> just, learn, the, how about just learn to mop? The terrible Egwene? mopping they were doing. Egwene anyway. does a lot of posturing about how much work she's doing. Yeah, how about you add 20 minutes onto that, learn how to mop? That's what I said. <laughs> yeah. Egwene has certain work that she wants to do, and she does not want to be involved in any of the rest of it. We see the warders yeah. practicing. Nynaeve walks in. It's not the one she's used to. She's looking for Maxim and Yvonne. They're obviously out with Alana. Uh, some guy says, I'll train with you, but he starts to joke with her. And apparently what, the big thing I got from this scene is that he goes, is it true you channeled in the arches? So apparently that, the thing that she did where she channeled in the arches was a big enough deal. Cause she clearly told somebody when she got out that she did this. Cause it's, and it is now like gossip around to the point that the warders are discussing it during training. What happened to you in the chamber of secrets is a complete uh, is between you and Voldemort. Therefore, obviously, the entire school knows about it, Harry. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> That's a great line and same kind of deal. But he does also joke about, man, I hope, sure hope you don't, uh, you don't become red, which you look, shout out to the guy. Like, that's a fine joke. He's, you know, basically saying, I hope you don't come after me. But uh, uh, she just, interesting. She's, she's got a, she's got a, does not land well. Not a great sense of humor on Nynaeve. So <laughs> she just glares at him. And then we see uh, Leandrin in the back. So that's an interesting read, Lee, because that's a, exactly the opposite of the read that I had when he was saying, I hope you don't choose red. Hmm. He's so, hoping that I, she does. Yeah, I was hoping that. Come no. after Right, exactly. He's hoping she <laughs> does come sense. after him. In the... Alana sense. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, He's uh, like, uh, I'll be your warder. Like, you know, I think you'd be a great partner. Yeah, could be. Yeah, I don't know. I, I was thinking he was saying, like, a, on behalf of men everywhere, I hope you're not red because you're strong enough. You'll kill us all. I don't know. He, he probably was... I mean, uh, he's the, in the White the Tower. He's pretty used to having women channel... I, I got I got some flirty looks from him. I'm right. <laughs> well, yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's that's probably that's probably what he meant. Um, I'll, I'll <laughs> Either take way, that. it falls very flat. Yes, she doesn't like anything that he's. I think I like that. Down. I think I like that read better. I think that's what he was what he was doing there. But yeah, she she certainly is not picking up what he's putting down. Uh, mm-hmm. Leandrin is then talking um, to Nynaeve, and or no, she's talking to Leanne, and she's talking about some fucking disturbance there's a thing going on out there are we checking on it are you sure you're checking on it hey hey boss are you sure you're checking on it are you sure are you sure irritating this lady and the lady and finally they get in this conversation about the amberlin um as soon as i got this scene like and i this was the first like the first time i watched this when i got to this scene i was like oh we're gonna get the amberlin again this season because they, <laughs> they made a point of reminding us who it is here in this yep. car in the scene in a way they don't have to do right like but mm-hmm. they just made sure we remember who that person is had a little conversation about it Leandrin ends the, the conversation kind of a daunting line. You know, if she falls, you'll fall with her. Um, it would seem to me that that's not a normal tone for conversation <laughs> with Aes Sedai between each other. It seems like Leandrin is particularly dour and difficult to deal with and says these things that are kind of out of line with how the other Aes Sedai interact. So, yes, but we also had uh, Shuraim talking to uh somebody else you know Shrime is? Shrime is the the lady who uh takes care of the novices that's right yeah, okay. of thank novices. you yeah so when uh there so when leandrin left the room and she was talking to whoever else was in there with her i think it might have been leanne that they were talking about leandrin's group at like her faction cabal. in the white tower mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
Her little cabal. Yes, her cabal. Um, mm. And them asserting power. And so, like, I think this is further playing on this dynamic. I'm not saying that it's... Uh, there's a reason that the Red Aja is trying to uh, cause an upset in the power dynamics and maybe take a seat that hasn't been theirs in a really long time and that that's causing, you know, political consternation. But, mm, you know. It seems like he might actually be saying that. Is, did is you catch, that did what, you catch the sarcasm? I don't, I'm, I don't know. I'm putting on my little Loghain mask and I'm not sure what's happening anymore. Uh, oh, okay. All right. Uh, I'll be Rand then. And I'll be similarly confused about every intonation that anybody takes. Maybe, maybe we found, point. we found the reason. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I, 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 that makes a lot of sense, BJ. And I, I feel like, um, you know, I've, re- I've, I've read enough fantasy to be dangerous. Right. And I feel like, this is likely something, the politics of the White Tower is something you could probably do a real deep dive in if you've read the books, I would imagine. I, I'm guessing this is the type of thing that Robert Jordan sprinkles through the books and that you actually get some meat on the bone around this, right? Yes. Uh, you yeah. get you get a whole lot of like uh, some of the divides in, in the Ajas. Uh, and I think you get fairly early on in like the glossary, like what the Ajas are about. And so if you read the glossary because you know there are more pages in the book and that's that's, that's what you go. do gotta read the glossary <laughs> read every bit so gotta read the appendix to lord of the rings too hey did you guys know that my co-host spencer has read the appendix to lord of the rings three times because if you didn't know he'll tell you he's very I'm, proud of very I'm proud surprising. of it very I, I proud have of it completely comments on that second shot at spencer this episode i'm really proud of myself all right then we get a great that three seems low here's the thing here's a question i have for the group um <laughs> A lot of chatter everywhere about how boring Perrin is. I find the wolf ability that is particularly portrayed in this scene with Elias really fucking interesting. How they are shooting images to him about what they see so that they can all communicate as one pact. How Mm -hmm. the wolf that was sitting next to him in this scene is able... Hopper is able to actually give him the image of his mate, of the person he's missing, that he's grieving, and share his name like telepathically with him. We also learned that this entire time, Perrin has basically had the wolves on standby. They didn't come around because he was near women who could channel, Mm -hmm. but for the length of this story so far that we have seen, these wolves have had his back and could come at any, any given moment. I find this ability, like... It, it's so left turn from the whole channeling and sighting sidear thing. Like it's a whole different fucking thing mm-hmm. that I really, really think is interesting, but people shit on parent all the time. Did you guys find this scene interesting or not? It's okay. If it, if you, if the answer is no, this, this scene's cool. The wolf power is awesome. Perrin sucks. <laughs> it, it, it's now not that... the wolf powers. It's, it's, it's not the, 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 the suit, like, I He's think just it gets being blindsided. I will say that I didn't say a lot about Perrin specifically. You did not. No, you're so interested I think BJ in the power. really did kind of yes. call call uh-huh. that out really, uh-huh. really perfectly. But I do find that the the wolf power and Elias and the whole training and the fact the pack comes on command and mm-hmm. shooting the memories. I mean, give me more of that, please. But I take your point, BJ. The character Perrin, they could write a little bit better. I think. So there are. Probably like three to five lines that get tossed around on a regular basis by fans of this series. One of them is by wolves. Like that's that's how like big and like excited that people are about uh, 
about like the wolf powers. Okay. But I mean, it's okay. some, well, it's something that Perrin says to the wolves, but like I'm sure I'll remember it, but I'm not coming to mind. Yeah. So I'll say so, this: I want to be the dragon number one. Mm-hmm. I think I think firm number two is wolf person. I think the wolf person is really cool. Is this something that only men can do? Uh, You'll have to keep so, reading. So You'll have to keep a, reading. A little bit more of the history uh, that Robert. isn't a spoiler is that uh, the wolf powers uh, are thought to be older than Channeline in the world. And so, Ooh, interesting. Hell yeah. Ancient. The old gods. No That's really That's cool. the northern gods. That's Just the old know. gods. Yep. <laughs> Indeed. I like that shit. This okay. is dope. This is a whole cool storyline. I, I know Perrin sucks, but give me more Elias time and yeah. wolf time and yeah. learn about that. I like it. I, I love the wolf power. I think it's it's super cool. I think some of the stuff they did in this scene was really cool. My one beef with this is storytelling is partially because of what the what the power itself is and how kind of like nebulous and intuitive it is. Mm-hmm. They have to do a lot of talking about it. Yeah. Instead of just showing Tell me it. instead of showing Yeah. yeah. Although, and they did some showing. They did some showing. And I think they tried to, tried to do as much of that as they can. So I don't really, I don't really fault them for it. It just, it felt like a lot bunched up right together in the way that some of the discussion about like the one power and stuff like that, we get more spread oh, out. Oh, we absolutely right. went to Wolf People class for 10 minutes. We did. And I'm yes, cool with right. that. But that is, it was, it was really highly concentrated. It was just high it was highly concentrated and therefore it became really noticeable to me in that moment. That being said, all here for the wolf power. I hope that the old gods will let me become a wolf one day. I a couple well, things in this scene. Oh sorry, go ahead. Ray. I was just gonna say I I was very entertained by Perrin being really quite dumb, but I guess also a <laughs> yeah. proxy for the audience being like, wait, are they all wolf brothers too? <laughs> it's like, oh my God, like you are don't be an idiot. I know. I shouldn't be. I shouldn't be done. shitting on Loghain for being dumb. Right? Like, we've got <laughs> so Aaron, who's a many other options. Star. Do I become a... Don't be stupid. Don't be stupid. Um, so this is also a thousand percent one of those places where they had to CGI the tails of the wolves because they were <laughs> such good boys and so excited about being good boys. <laughs> yeah, probably. Slow it down a little bit. Um, a couple of things that I noticed in this scene that I thought were interesting... Um, in Elias speaking to Perrin, he says, you were really lucky to get away from the white coats. Mm-hmm. He made a point mm-hmm. of saying like, that cloaks. was a, yeah. right? it was a real big deal to get away from his white cloaks. That was a big deal for you. We remember that scene from season one. It was the nutball who like was eating the, like the most gross dinner ever. Yeah. Like that idiot. Like he would, Elias seems particularly worried about that group of people. He also says that they do not go around women who channel mm-hmm. because um, something about like how they 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 don't like what they don't understand. Like yeah. all humans, don't yeah. What they don't understand. And it, I, I that that prompted a lot of questions for me about like, okay, like so the Aes Sedai are being set up as like quasi heroes of this story anyway, or at least one of them is. Like, what do they do to the wolf people? Like, are they unjust to the wolf people? Like, mm-hmm. what is their what is their like sort of official policy on this? I'd like to know well, more about the interactions between the Aes Sedai and the wolf people. What kind of if if some dude is acting really weird and has some strange powers, who are you going to call? The eye said I, and you're going to be like, "Ooh, we need to gentle this person." Can they can they gentle wolf powers? They can try. They can try. Okay, all right. So that that whole thing, I would love way more information on. That's uh, that's really interesting yeah. to me. Yeah. So you don't get a whole lot more in the books, but you get there is more going on in 
that that whole like interplay uh and it, i think it's in book one uh fairly early on where rain basically is like hey i kind of know this about you we don't really know about this it's an older thing that like isn't even in like the tower histories like people have tried to study it but like with not a whole lot of success so i can't tell you anything about it um and be careful around red sisters because <laughs> they might try to gentle you they're certainly not gonna like this yeah that right. that that's so I, that's confusing to me in the way that i understand what gentling is but I would just like more information on like the whole thing. Like I'd like I'd like to see that play out. Yeah. I, I yep. find and that I don't know. There's there's some more backstory on Elias that we might get. Um, I don't know. But yeah, that might help. So that might fill out. But like yeah, I think it, I think it really depends on like how much time Elias ends up spending with everybody, and it's sort mm. of really unclear what that's going to be because he he took the place of a character that is a major player throughout the books, whereas Elias is a little bit more Tom Bombadil. Uh, it's just like, I buy. Um, and I think like shows up three times throughout the entire series. So like a lot of people like him and that's probably why they're having him play a more significant role. Um, so we'll see if they give him the backstory that they gave him in the books, which will make, Good. which will be interesting. Flush him out. I can see why you made the Tom Bombadil reference, but I don't, I think your, I think your aversion to Tolkien is showing a little bit there because like, uh, this guy has a very specific power that's, in, that's within the world that he's helping another character learn. He's like become like a teacher for that character. And, uh, you know, Tom Bombadil is basically God. Like it was, it was a strange thing. But like, <laughs> I uh, I also would say this, the final thing about the scene, you can tell the scenes I like, right? Mm-hmm. Um, is uh, as bad as and as flat as a lot of the lines from Perrin are. I like the pairing with Elias because I feel like the Elias actor is captivating. He's really yes. good, and he carries those scenes for me. Absolutely. Yep. Agreed. Cool. So then we get a scene with Lan and Maxim, and <laughs> in in essence, what Maxim se- Maxim seems to be doing is, in as much as he's willing to do, kind of swimming against the current of what Elena is doing. Right? Like Elena seem Elena Alana seems to be pushing land toward you need to move on from moraine create a life move forward where maxim kind of gets him alone and is like you could do that but you know you could also keep fighting yep. and you could also try to develop a system with her that works for her you know i did this with alana let me explain to you how i did it with her he actually says the phrase have you ever known one marriage that is exactly the same as another which is a fantastic line just for life like it, you know, that's a good thing just to always consider. And I just thought it was pretty interesting that, you know, Maxim and Yvonne are loyal as fuck to Alana. Like that is not, yeah. that is not on the table. But he does seem, at least in my opinion, seems to be disagreeing with her approach to land just slightly. Yep. I, I think that this also could be a little bit of uh, the tendrils of Ace of Dyer sneaky and. Mm. So having a bunch of ways at getting at what Lan plans to do and trying to convince him to do something uh, because of like what happens later in the episode, I think that there's, there could be, it could be Maxim basically being like, Hey, this is how stuff worked out. But this also in my mind could be Alana's like, we need to like get certain pieces of information and 
like, yeah, it'd be great if we can get Len to move on, continue as a warder, like, continue fighting the, the shadow, whatever it is. But what's really important is We look why... through his shit. Hmm? Uh, yeah. What's, what's really important is that we look through his shit. <laughs> right. Exactly. Well, yes, that and, is and the number one goal. On. Like, why is Moraine being sketchy? Why is Land being sketchy? Like, what's going on here? I think that that is a uh, great point, BJ. And you, you very well may be right. Like it, that. That's the. That's what's going on in the scene. Uh, I don't. I obviously don't think we know for sure. But like, I think that that's a really great counter to way to a way to see that scene. Right. Like, um, I am a little bit more like. I guess trusting of the Aes Sedai, and I, I, it doesn't occur to me to immediately think like, oh, she's this engineering is, this. Yeah, this is like a social, mm-hmm. like socially engineered sort of conspiracy thing that they're doing, all working together. I thought it was more of a genuine conversation, but uh, I, I think I appreciate that perspective because I hadn't thought about it that way. Yeah. Um, all right, so Rand and Celine, a hike for the ages, folks. <laughs> Fucking romantic, fantastic. These two. Is this a hike that you could get behind? You infamous non-hiker. If I could hike with a Forsaken, I would not worry too much about the heights. <laughs> also, if that's the the view and the cabin that you have, like yeah, sure, I'll take it. Yeah. You deal with some it. some things. Mm-hmm. So I am going to. I hope I don't bore everybody to tears, but I am actually going to do some quotes from this scene because I feel like a lot of the language from Celine is important when we consider the backstory of Lanfear. Do it. And yeah. the 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 raison de threat for like uh fucking Lanfear. Like what is she really doing? A lot of this gets flushed out, I feel like, in the what she says. Mm-hmm. So um she says I was lying. She's talking about the the the, the cabin and the fact Rand kinda of asked about the cabin and like, oh your your family's cabin or whatever and she goes, I was lying. I never used to come up here with a man I, I used to come sorry. I was lying. I used to come up here with a man before you. Rand's like, I don't need to hear about that. And she's like, <laughs> he was the first man I ever loved. The only man I ever loved. Actually, powerful, confident, arrogant, really. With eyes that could fix everything in its place. Now, I don't like, I think it's okay to talk about who she's talking about, right? BJ, this doesn't spoil, like this is good backstory for people, right? Yeah, they, I mean, know, they, know it's, is... they know it's land fear now, right? Do they? No. Well, by the end of the episode. By the end of the episode, we know it's Lanfear, but we don't have her backstory. Yeah. But I think it's helpful to tell people. Like, I don't think that that's like a thing that people shouldn't seek out. I mean, mean, they'll know by the next episode. Like, if they're listening to our podcast, they're doing it because they've watched the episodes and the only person you're spoiling is sitting next to you. Well, I don't think and I've already honest, talked to her. Like about it. we we've already talked about it, and like while it's not explicit in this episode, I think that if you have been watching this show and listening to anything that's been going on, like it's pretty obvious who she's right. talking about. Right, she so, has an obsession. Yeah. So yeah. Well, oh, <laughs> wait, wait a second. Now that's a strong <laughs> word. Oh, now, but I, is I it think not she's. True? I think she's in love. Okay. So. <laughs> Landfear. Let me give a, a, a slight Landfear 101 for people. And as always, please, Bria, BJ, correct me if I fuck something up. Um, Obsession, Lanfear, not love. Landfear was uh, alive and and doing her thing uh, in the Second Age with uh, Louis there and Telamon, and actually had a relationship with him. Fell in love with him for whatever reason. Now lost to history. He made a decision to go with a different person and make a life partner with a different person. He married a different person, had kids with a different person and uh, rejected her. And 
she lost her shit, did not take it well. Uh, my understanding is she stood before basically everybody and was like, fuck you all. I'm going to be with the dark one. I'm, I'm flipping. I'm a dark friend now. And I will win him back. I will make sure that Lewis comes back to me. And so when she's locked away for 3,000 years, she comes out. The very first thing she does is seek out someone that has a small piece of him. Like it's like the two, it's like mm-hmm. you're 2% Lewis and that's enough for me, right? Like, and she comes to him. And so when she's talking about like, you're helping me remember somebody, he was yep. the first man I ever loved. We used to get away as much as we could. We were better when we were alone. He used to joke about never coming back down, but we always did. She's talking about Lewis. She's talking about the original dragon. And I think that in some of this language, she's giving hints that maybe Lewis and her carried on the relationship maybe longer than people realized, that maybe he liked her more than people realized. It seems to me that the story that gets told, tell me if I'm, I'm wrong here, is that she was just rejected and she just wouldn't take a no. But in some of her language here, talking about how we would get away together just one-on-one and we were better when we were alone, to me it suggests that some things might have been going on in the sly with Lanfear and Lewis that not everybody was aware of. What do y'all What do y'all say to that, huh? huh? That's an interesting read. It, it could be. You know, I don't know where they're going to take this part of the story. Um, but I think something that she does say here, or maybe it's a little bit later, I don't remember, but... Uh, the one where she basically says, you know, like, oh, it's after Rand Channels. And she's like, I was a mirror and mm-hmm. I hid everything else and that was in darkness. I think that that to me suggests that basically she was pretending to be this perfect person that Luz wanted. And then when he saw all of the rest of her, he rejected her. And I don't know where they're going to go with that story, but I think that that could have been the point at which she... Uh, she was rejected and he chose another woman. It's such a, like, the, I love Lanfear because it's such a fucking relatable story. It's, I fell in love with a person and we had a relationship and they decided that, that they didn't like this particular aspect of me or this part of me. And so they went with right. somebody else. So you know what? You don't like this part of me. I'm going to amp this fucker up to a <laughs> hundred and I will show everybody. I'm like, going to slash your tires yeah. and I was, you. And we've seen this so many say, times in life. In a different genre, Lanfear is a country music song. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. absolutely. She's Carrie Underwood taking a bath. That's bat. right. Yeah, yep. absolutely. Uh, so, and then, but, uh, but, and this is uh, something that BJ and I argue about a little bit is, um, I find the fact that when she comes back, when she's, when she's released from her prison and she's released back into the world that she seeks out Ran and seems to want to take care of him and, uh, cultivate him a little bit, at least we've, in some Dominate of these early him? scenes. No, um, she's mentoring him. I, <laughs> I find it is, I, I, I actually find some of their scenes sweet. I really do. And like, I, the fact that she sees she's like the the idea of like oh he's a little bit of what of Lewis and like that's the most important thing to me in this whole world she could go anywhere she's got vast powers but that little sliver of him that's still Lewis is enough for her to be there with him and kind of stick it out with him I don't know I find that kind of romantic and I know like a lot of the book fans roll their eyes when I say that but like I don't know I find her story compelling and somewhat romantic she's chasing the dragon <laughs> I mean I I see what you're you're saying there and I agree that she is in some ways it's romantic but it's also really creepy and obsessive it I don't know if I was Rand, uh, I wouldn't have a problem with it I I, I don't yeah I don't know really doesn't. okay so I 
the, so we talked a little bit about this over text, but the she's three five hundred years old, and he's twenty, and she's basically the most powerful ch- channeler from the past age, and has a lot of other experience. Uh, and then, well, she's just makes showing it, him the way, and also. Again, only showing him parts of her that she thinks he'll like. And it just, she's a completely different person. Like, presumably, and maybe she's not lying, but presumably she knows that he channeled and burned down the inn. Because, like, I, I don't know, maybe she didn't. But there are so many things of, like, I'll help you, but not help you as much as maybe I could. But that keeps you next Contained. to me. And, like, dependent on me. Like she could, she could just get all the Gelden in red that he wants, and it'll be there like two minutes later. And he doesn't have doesn't have to spend time with her, doesn't have to go to the party with her, doesn't then dress up for like there. There are so many things that are she is using just enough of her power to keep him dependent on her, spending time with her, and like in her life that is problematic could be because of you know she's still in love with him and he's an adult and it's fine but it has it has a a taint to it shall we say i think you've forgotten what dating is i think you've forgotten (laughs) you've forgotten how to how people date like yeah she's leveraging she's leveraging her resources she's leveraging her position to attract him she's only showing certain parts of herself this is exactly what people do when they first start dating somebody like this is yeah. This is not. This doesn't. This does not qualify as. I like, mean, if you lay it all, she's out on the evil first or something. Date. I mean, yeah, I mean, and, yeah. and of course, and you just told us. If you put forsaken on, hi, my name is Celine, and I am a forsaken <laughs> on your speed date. So sure, things, I mean, right? and you could say the same thing. You know, an older professor is just trying to show, like, the young student, like the the ways of the world, and and. Uh, you know, takes him out to, to nice dinners and, and, you know, just enough. Like, maybe I'll help you a little bit with some of, you know, your research and whatever else. And, you know, just... You could do a little something for yeah. me. Yeah, I mean, when you compare it to a different situation that's creepy, then, yeah, it sounds <laughs> it's creepy. It's inherently creepy. Yeah, right. right, but, like, well, so that's a different situation. It, there's an age and power difference that makes Okay, it... all right. Let's not okay, stop cause... with the age thing. Because when you're 500 years old and you look 30, you can't really date in your own age range. Yeah, I'm like... sorry. Like, <laughs> also, fantasy readerships have decided that we don't care about this. See Sarah that J. Moss and 500-year-old fairies. But to be fair, it does explicitly it. come up where Rand says, oh, I thought, you know, we, we said no pass. And she's like, well, that's easy for you since you're too young to have one. So she is very aware. Sure, I don't. I don't have dynamic. any. I have no problem with that. Uh, I don't see an well, issue. But also, like, I, I don't. I actually wouldn't point to that specific line because I feel like that line is a little tongue in cheek. Because like she sort of knows that he has many past past lives that have been playing out, and that's but why he she's here in the them. first place. Yeah. No, well, well, he kind of does. He, he knows. He does. Does. He knows he's the dragon. Um, and you know, he he found that out internally, right? Well, so he, he has he no knows. idea what that means, right? But you He's know the other dumb. thing the other thing for me in this relationship that I actually think is gives me I, I think some sympathy for Celine as well because it's a little bit sad is that 
you realize when she is talking, and this is, I think, in a later scene, but when she is talking about being the mirror for Luz. Right. And he was only seeing the parts of her that he wanted to see. She's doing the same thing to Rand. Of course she is, because she right. she was hurt when she showed her full self to somebody. Mm-hmm. So she's been they conditioned. Might not love all of you. She's been conditioned not to do that, and so yeah. she, and she's and it's interesting that she's giving that exact advice to Rand of something that she's doing herself. This is all. This is so human. Well, it is, but it uh, is. my point my point actually was that she is sorry. She is in the lose theremin position here in only seeing in Rand what she wants to see. Oh yeah, sure. All right, so I'm sure I'm sure that she'll like commit genocide or something, and I'll sound like a fool after. But I'm just talking about what I mean. What she did I've wake up so covered far. in blood. But I will also say that like I'm I, when I intake fantasy, like I I gravitate toward the powerful people. Like give me Yoda, Palpatine, Luke Skywalker. I want to know what Gandalf's doing all the time. Like I am interested in the powerful people, and the idea that he could shack up with the with fucking one of the most powerful entities that have a heartbeat, like. Yeah, that's that's a that's an asset to Rand potentially. I'm also thinking that in that range of like it might be good to have her around from time to time because you know you're gonna make some enemies when you fucking stand on a hill and say I'm the dragon. It'd be cool to have a good body man. She could be a good body man. Or like, this could work really well for him. He starts making eyes at some other woman, and all of a sudden his tires are getting slashed and he's chained up. Look. Uh, it, 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 the fact that she might get jealous and, and kill a bitch occasionally. I mean, that's not, <laughs> that's no reason not to date Minor her. Minor details. Yes. I, so everything it. aside, like if the, there is a, uh, I appreciate your sense of romanticism with her. And I think that there is an aspect of, she didn't want to have a romantic relationship with him. This was just sort of a, like, I'm going to see if I can dip my toe in. Uh, because like, I miss this so much. Cause like just spending time with Luz Theron and the dragon was like such a core part of her back in the day that she like she just wanted a little bit of it and probably thought that she was like that it's not gonna be It'll I'm be different gonna... this time. I can control it. I'll just right. have a just I'll just have a taste. It'll be it. different. Yeah. Uh, every, a little addict. bit of that, but maybe also like she didn't think of Rand as a person. And so, like, getting to spend time with him, now she's understanding that, like, this is more of a person than what she was expecting. That's fair. I don't really think of Rand as a person either. (laughs) I think he's the fucking dragon, and he's got a lot of power, and he needs to go save the universe. Like, I don't... The fact that he grew up on a farm is like, I don't give a shit anymore. Uh, You know, (laughs) Lee actually is... I know I make a lot of Harry Potter references on this podcast, but <laughs> Lee actually is the Dumbledore of this whole situation. Like, I'm sorry, Harry is the chosen one who is supposed to defeat the Dark One. Yep. I, we I don't need about. to think about you as like a real person. Yeah, no, you're just going to go and do your no. things. Yeah, he needs to yep. go. He needs to go fucking. Uh, I don't need to tell you anything or explain humanity. anything to you. Or... Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> right. All right. So um, then we have a, a number of scenes here that I think we can go through relatively quick. Min and Matt, I think that's just supposed to show you that they're developing a relationship and Min is having a conversation with the bartender uh, that shows that she has something else going on mm-hmm. there with that relationship mm-hmm. with Matt, right? You get a little window into it. You get Leandrin and Nynaeve and a conversation where Leandrin actually cops to having a son, which I don't think we've ever seen her do one-on-one with somebody before and talks about how uh, the while the men have, you know, this madness 
this problem. The, she frames it as the Aes Sedai also have one in mm-hmm. that they have to watch all of the people that they know come and go and die. Sarah? So this is my, my question that has been plaguing me all episode is because Moraine has been cut off from the one power, is she now going to start aging at a normal pace? She's Bilbo after she gives up the ring. She's just going to Yeah, it, yeah is that the way it works? Do we Uh-oh. know? I don't know. We'll have to see. What did you say? Wafo. Watch and find out. Oh, watch and find out, Sarah. Wafo. How are we supposed How? to know what Wafo meant? Is I that don't a, know. Is that an industry term? This am I missing some something here? Bullshit. <laughs> Wafo? <laughs> Where did that come from? Uh, it, so It's an aberration from Rafa, which is read and find out. Yeah. Also never heard of that. <laughs> now, I heard that Robert Jordan used to say that to his fans a lot, right? You're going to have to keep reading. Isn't that something yeah. he was famous yeah. for saying? Uh, him, Sanderson... Uh, a lot of the fantasy Common. authors have taken that up when people are like, you know, tell me blah, about blah. this lore piece or like what's going to happen with these characters. And they're just like, I'm writing Blafo. more books. Like, Yeah. And Martin now just answers the question because he <laughs> you don't have a chance to read it. So he just like, tells I'm you. Dead, so here, I'll just tell you. Um, okay. Well, Wafo, I, I don't suppose. Know. Anyway, I, that also tells me Wafo. I asked an okay question. So yeah, we can move yeah, it's on. So, so it's on a very point. good question. Um, it's the I, I think the better answer to your question is uh Waffo. Usually people who are Watch it. are stilled Watch or it. severed or whatever commit suicide. Mm-hmm. So mm. So we don't actually have a lot of points data points. Right. He he got to an okay Waffo. place. Eh. Anyway. Yeah. All right. So um I I, I do like that framing though of Leandrin that like happy like this is a very Tolkien thing, uh, and if if this is if this was taken from the books, then Robert Jordan, I do think, kind of took this concept from Tolkien because Tolkien played with this with the elves, which was. And I don't, by the mm. way, I don't mean that in a negative at all. Like every yeah. fantasy author takes from Tolkien, and that's okay. Like he played with this concept with the elves of being like immortal. Yeah. And is that a good thing? And Tolkien yeah. would have told you, and he wrote in his letters, and he wrote, he kind of wrote a lot of his stuff in such a way to give you this this uh, opinion and this idea that the elves were almost cursed with immortality. That if you asked Tolkien what was better to be human Mm -hmm. or to be an immortal elf, he would have said human 10 times out of 10. He felt like being immortal was a form of like ongoing punishment. It was a very difficult thing to endure and deal with. And that's kind of what Leandrin is vocalizing here. I find that, I find that to be a great dynamic they've inserted here with the Mm -hmm. Aes Sedai. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah. I think this was well done. Um, And I think it, it flushes out, some of the things that Leandrin has done and and does um, as well. We also get some hints of some other problems, um, specifically with Varen's warder. Uh, and they do a good job casting him because he's not young. Mm-hmm. And yeah. kind of the same thing with Henny and Lan, where, you know, he's clearly not, he, he's older. He's not uh, a spring chicken anymore. Exactly. And so, I mean, the things to think about is like, you know, they bond these warders and watch them die. Sedai outlive them. And they talk about like, you know, it's mm. the the Sedai are supposed to outlive their warders. They they had it in the um, episode where uh, they're mourning the Sedai and the warder that were killed in season one uh, a little bit. And so uh, it does some, make some really interesting uh, dynamics. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. It's very sad. 
I I like that idea because I like personally have always just like when I read Tolkien, I was always like, oh well, it'd be fucking dope to be an elf and like <laughs> fucking be live forever. And then Tolkien kind of checks your system with that with the storytelling, and he's like, wait a second, it's actually not that fucking great. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, right. think think again. And that that's been a great like sort of thing that fantasy has given me that perspective. I like it. Um, so the other thing that. Uh, is an interesting thing to think about in that context is that it wasn't, it probably wasn't as much of a burden before the breaking of the world because you had a Sedai of both sexes and there wasn't this like everybody you cared about. Probably often like your children also were channelers. Like it, it wasn't this, you know, everybody but the people in the White Tower that you might or might not like. I'm guessing, you know. Leandro and Moraine probably aren't, you know, the best of friends, but... Nah. <laughs> uh, so, you know, instead of it being your colleagues, it could be your family, and, you know, you could, have, you could have a relationship with somebody who sure. might live similar amounts of time. Yeah. I also read that, um, or also my understanding also is that in the Second Age, um, the one power was used so sort of ubiquitously to heal that the normal lifespan of non-channelers was still up over 200 years. Like it was like normal people still live much longer um, because of, you know, the, the availability of healing and the one power and how, Hmm. how all over that was. Right. I wasn't, I I, I didn't remember, like, I didn't know if you knew that and I wasn't going to like pop that right out, but like that was one of the other big things where yes, they lived longer, but it wasn't, it wasn't like everybody else's. Right. Um, and then... Yes, yes, I got you. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Then then there's another aspect to it, which, again, is very in the weeds, that, like, people's ability with the one power is sort of related to, like, how much longer they live. And so, like, you'd have, uh, just, like, a, a mm. wide span. So, like, if you had tons of them, like, yes, there were some people that would live a really long time, but also, like, it wasn't, it wasn't as stark in the way that, like, either you live to, like, 80 or... 500. Yeah. Can you explain, um, d- dear dear BJ, our lore master, <laughs> can you explain to us, you or Brie explained to us, okay, um, we know the Aes Sedai live longer because they have the availability of the one ta- one power. Some people might confuse that with why Lanfear has lived so long. I think those are two different things. Can you talk about why Lanfear is still alive? Well, she got sealed in the boar. So what? I don't know that we know oh. about that. Um, she got sealed away uh, in the uh, at, at, at the the time of the breaking. Uh, the uh, Forsaken were sealed away with the Dark One, and so she's basically been. Oh, in, so those, in years, those years she's don't. In, oh, so those, those in, years don't count. Those right. years don't count. She's in stasis. <gasps> she's been kept in olive oil or but don't, blood. Is it don't the don't the Forsaken like have like access to longer lives, immortality, something like that? Like they're 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 gonna live a long time, right? Well, there might be also something they're doing in the show that may supplement that. We'll see where that goes. But but basically, all of the Forsaken were Ace Sedai, and they were very strong. They were they were were the strongest Ace Sedai. Yeah, pretty long lived, regardless. Okay. that that's why I've been saying that like Lanfear is so old. Like she's not like three thousand plus years old, but she wasn't 50. twenty when they got sealed in. She was probably like three or four hundred or older. Okay, gotcha. Um, I all right. So maybe maybe you're being um, 
Maybe you're just not wanting to share certain things with me, or maybe I, my understanding of it is different. But my understanding had, had been that the the Forsaken, by joining the Dark One, were able to basically be immortal, to live forever by being no, a Forsaken. No, no. I guess um, we'll have to see. I, yeah, that that's not something that, that was uh, really addressed in the book. Okay, well, it's oh, okay. a different turning in the show, as we established early on. <laughs> yeah. Different turning of the wheel, so who knows? All right, so back to the, the recap we have. Oh, do you have something? No, I was just going to say, I was just trying to think through that and just watching it as a casual viewer. Like, it, see, uh, my assumption was that something about being the Forsaken and aligning with the Dark One did, in fact, make you immortal. Like, and that's what it looks well. like in the show. It so feels he, different than the... Cagey because yeah, I, I yeah, have yeah. a hypothesis about what that might be. But I don't know if that's what they're going to do. Gotcha. All right. So I'll stay. I'll, let me stay. Um, new segment. Lee's unqualified opinions. Under <laughs> Underline and bold. Um, uh, she ha- has been offered immortal life from the from the dark one by being a forsaken. And that's mm-hmm. what that that's what I say. I have no proof behind it. I've read nothing to justify that. I just said it. Okay. Okay. Great. Uh, so Lan and Yvonne are left uh after so there's been a little meditating which we know a little a little which we meditating know Land fucking hates and, and clearly uh maxim hates too and they're meditating and he's left with yvonne and they're talking and there was a wonderful conversation that like God, basically like bj you had last week on the show where um they're talking about how lands like well she said i wasn't your my equal i wasn't her equal and Yvonne just starts laughing. He's like, no shit, dumbass. Of course you're not. They could fucking make it rain. They could, they could do lightning. They, they like move, move shit around. Like, yeah, of course you're not equal. Like, I, I feel like you made that point last week, which um, uh, is exactly what he made here, which is kind of funny to see Lan's reaction to mm-hmm. that. I don't think he'd really thought of it through that lens. But like, come on, dude. Obviously you're not equal. And love, that's okay. I love any reaction when somebody is sort of like saying this deeply personal thing and does not get the response back right. that they expected. <laughs> no shit, dude. Of course you're not equal. That, that doesn't mean that the whole thing was for nothing. Yeah. Um, and he kind of explains what he thinks the role of the Aes Sedai is. It's kind of like to check the, or the role of a warder is. It's like kind of to check the ego of the Aes Sedai, um, to be a, kind of a check in the system for them, basically. Uh, during this entire time, though, they go and they uh, check out his bag and they find the poem that he stole from Moraine that Moraine got from... The uh, basically the, sale, the salesman, yeah, that that fella, that um, <laughs> I believe is Master from Doman. I believe is from the seal that uh, Ishamael broke to get Lanfear out. Yep. Yep. All right. So the, he, yeah, he also had a piece of the heartstone that they like were haggling over, and she just wanted the poem. And so the implication, the heavy implication, is that. The seal that he broke at the beginning of this episode was that heartstone that Beldamon sold mm-hmm. Moraine, or tried to tried to, to sell yeah. Moraine, and Moraine just took the poem um, that was written in blood. Mm-hmm. And yep. I feel like now, now knowing what we what we know, I feel like Moraine the 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 information she wanted to glean there was that okay, he broke Landfear out, and getting the poem is enough to sort of tell her that story. She doesn't need the stone too. That can, that makes sense, right? The, the important information is that Shamael broke Lanfear out. Right. Um, so what's kind of interesting that they're not doing in the show uh, or they're doing in a slightly different way uh, is they're not really dealing with the prophecies that are very much in the books. So 
kind of similar to Tolkien, where they just kind of got rid of all of the poems in Tolkien uh, when they did the movies. They're Pretty just like, much, yeah. that was cool, but... It doesn't translate. Yeah, it doesn't translate. So they're doing like little snippets of different parts of different prophecies that are much more written out in the books in this way. And so uh, this is part of the dark prophecies. Right. And they're like light... There are prophecies that the light side has and the prophecies that the dark side has. And this is one of the dark side prophecies. Um, And it was also written in blood in the books. And so it's sort of one of those cool little little nods. But also maybe that one of the reasons that she's more interested in having it written down as more than just Lanthier is this is something important to the dark side. And that might also be why Alana is so freaked out when she finds it in his saddlebags and why Moraine's so interested in prophecies of the dark side yeah okay that that's all interesting to me and i can see how that would elicit a lot of reactions from elena where she would be like she probably she might be questioning moraine mm-hmm. um you know if moraine's in cahoots with these people she would probably she's probably terrified that lanfear is just out there somewhere because they they have that conversation and you can see real fear on elena's face that this is this is something they may have to deal with right i thought it was a it's a really yeah. good reveal um all the way around and she's also sorry go ahead well i this is more of a kind of meta conversation on on this scene but i've mentioned a couple of times in these episodes about how much it feels like the writers and showrunners are trusting the audience this um this Mm -hmm. season Mm -hmm. they are doing some weird stuff with the timeline around when lanfear was actually when ishamayel actually broke lanfear out um, of her cage when we knew that when we saw that and how much we have seen Celine before that like it, it's it's really the tape. it's Come really back, interesting yeah, yeah, yeah but then they're not doing it in like a they're they're not like actually doing the signals of rewinding the tape that you might get in some <laughs> you know what I mean like they're not signaling that they're trusting you to figure that out right if I, this I was find a really interesting I think pseudo reality show and be like yeah Whoa. Yeah, they did. So I think they got feedback on how they did the whole dragon thing in season one. And people are like, like, can you not do that? Because like, (laughs) you're not even giving us hints. You're not trusting the audience. Like it. And I think it pissed sort of everybody off. Whereas this was like, you can piece it together. Like you can like, you know, as long as you're watching, you can reasonably figure this out. This and you feel the, real smart when you get there too. This, right. was the, this was the Jon Snow parent reveal where they never actually told you Jon Snow's parents in Game of Thrones. They just did that smash cut in season six yep. of hit, you know, baby John with adult John and back and forth. And we actually got that at the end of this episode with mm-hmm. uh, Lanfear, who was uh, in the throes of it uh, back <laughs> and forth with Rand uh, and then back and forth with the the scene of her, her rising and coming out of her cage. Yep. They actually yeah, gave you that back and forth cool. to yeah. piece it together. I agree with you, Sarah. It does make you feel smart when you piece it together. Mm-hmm. It's better storytelling all the way around. Yeah. I, I, I like this a lot better. Yeah. We got a scene with Anavir and Moraine. I like Anavir's character. This this conversation kind of bored me because I think it was a bit of um, just backstory resentment between these two characters. And the 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 end of it is basically Anavir saying, look, this is my house now. Uh, I control <laughs> all this shit. I see everything. And uh, I can help you find the redhead if you want. Yep. Yeah, I did... I did actually, I enjoyed this conversation on the second watch through, I think, because it does demonstrate that Anavir has really come into her own, despite the lack of her big sister. And 
that Moraine's going to have to allow some help. And she's no longer going to be able to do this on her own. Yeah, and and that's... And that's, that's got to be galling. And that message is coupled, right, with her her being stilled, right? Like her inability to touch the one power because she also needs help from mm-hmm. Elena. And she, mm-hmm. I think these other Aes Sedai as well, if she's going to continue on this path of, of trying to help the dragon, right? Um, so we get Egwene and Elaine sitting around drinking. Nynaeve comes in. One thing I missed in the recap before is that... Um, Leandrin told Nynaeve that some people were yeah. captured and they found an Ogier and a blacksmith from the two rivers. So mm-hmm. she said, promise me you won't do anything about it. Nynaeve, <laughs> of course, completely ignores that, does something about it, goes and finds Egwene, and off they go to try to save Perrin and Loyal. Uh, the other fun thing that you might want to think about is, how does Leandrin know? Yeah, she seemed to know when she was having the, the earlier conversation with, what's her name? Who's now standing in for the Amarillo? She seemed to know at that point, so she's known. Well, she has. She had gotten episode. a letter from somebody. Yeah. Right. So that she was watching or looking at. I yeah, I've stated on this podcast many times. I like Leandrin. She's an interesting character. Uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't trust her very far. Though. I think <laughs> I think there's there's issues with her uh, character. Yep. Not in like a writing way, but like no, she's in her, not her, her, yeah. her own she's morals scared. and ethics. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So. I don't know this. I like I don't know where she has that information, but who could her boss be? What 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 Wolo Wato watch and find out Wafo 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 everybody Wafo. <laughs> I was like how about the, that? The, the the weird merchant dude Watu? that 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 people are I was most getting confused about with Yolo. episode 1. Yolo <laughs> Wafo. All right. Yes. yes, that's my answer to that question. Love it. Okay. All right. So Here's the thing that Egwene says, because typically I ignore everything Egwene says, but she says something here that is interesting to me. This is she says, time reader you want to know why I work so hard here, basically? She mentions that if she was stronger, she could have fought alongside Rand at the end of the world. And as I was doing the second watch, Sarah can attest to this, I started muttering to myself. And I was like, no. Like, my understanding of the power levels of the Aes Sedai compared to, like, the Forsaken, the Dark One, the Dragon. I don't think that's I don't think that's her her path. It's not to say she's not important, but I don't think we're headed toward a, a reality where it's like Rand standing next to Egwene fighting the Dark One like one on one because she's gotten so powerful and she's worked so hard. I don't feel like that's her future. So I also think that like she's just in for a, a real disappointment and where this whole thing is going because I, just, I don't think she has her her. her her mind wrapped around where she fits into this. I also have in my notes, in all caps, after she says, if I had been ready at the eye of the world, you're not ready now. Literally nothing has changed. True. <laughs> True. Yeah. True things. True facts. Um, but also, remember Leandrin said, it's not the most powerful women who mm-hmm, make history. Mm-hmm. It's the ones who survive. So yeah, sure. I, and I, Be- I get being that, at I get the that. fight at the eye of the world, she wouldn't have survived. Once again, I would, yeah, no. once again, I would point out that the most dangerous person in the room is someone who has 160 IQ and thinks they have 170 IQ. So and Egwene falls into that she's, category. She's got like a, a 110 and thinks it's 170. <laughs> she's, she's a long way off from the power levels that she's talking about participating Correct. in here. Yes. And I just don't uh, think it's in, her, in the cards Benning for her. Kruger. So I think we're, we're going to have to have, you know, some episode sometime that is going to be. Okay, Egwene did something okay. 
and we're going to highlight it this episode. And and that's what we're going to title the episode because it's going to be like one. And when <laughs> is that going to happen? It's not I have today. No not today is not uh, that day. Actually, I know today when it's going to happen. It's going to be the finale. Maybe. Uh, <laughs> we'll see. Uh, so cut to, um, so they, they go off, right? They're going off to try to save Parrot and Loyal. And Elaine, of course, comes with them. And she's basically like, look, there's not shit you can do about it. You, Nynaeve, you can't even touch the power most of the time unless you're like really pissed off. And you, Egwene, you wouldn't hurt me. So I'm going with you. And in comes, is that Leandrin's music? Yes, it is. Leandrin walks in and she says, you are a complication. I am, I am sorry for this. She says, I am sorry for this. And I, I. Really thought that line was interesting, and then she just blasts him. Yep. Um, and she specifically seemed to be saying, you are a complication. Well, Elaine's Elaine. a complication. To Elaine. Yeah, yeah I think yeah, she yeah. was trying to, I took all that, that she was maybe trying to engineer a situation to get Nynaeve and Egwene away from Correct. the tower so that she could beat him up or something. But the daughter heir shows up. Yeah. That, that is kind of important, right? Because like, there still is the political world outside of right. the White Tower. Yeah. And this is like, the heir to the kingdom. Yeah. Right. Probably looks bad if she just gets beat up. Anything, right? Yeah. Anything. Even if she goes yeah. missing for a little while. Um, all right. Cut to men who's having a terrible dream. And then here comes. Oof. Look out. It's like. <laughs> all of a sudden, Sarah. I wish up. I, I wish this I had. This is the, my favorite scene. I'm not going to bury the lead. <laughs> I wish we had like the Undertaker dong. Like how you oh, go dong. Yeah. And it's like all goes black. That's a Shamayel, right? Like I so he shows up. And um, question for the panel. Is this Teleriod? Is this Teleriod? Tele what? Don't try it. No, it's, I want to. I want to. I keep, uh, keep, I, I think it's Teleronriod. Teleronriod. Okay. Teleronriod. So the, he, they are, they are, she's dreaming, but a Shamayel. So Shamayel's not there physically with her. He's mm-hmm. meeting her in the dream world. Yeah. So. Right. Don't do this on on the first watch, but on your second watch, you can pause it and times that you're supposed, it's supposed to be more obvious, it will tell you that they're in the dream world and it'll say like their location, like at the left side of the pause, it'll say, say, tell her on as opposed to like Stephen Carhane or whatever. I'm convinced that Amazon has different like, um, operating systems on different apps and in different places because okay. there's been multiple times where you've told me I could find something in the Amazon app <laughs> and I have well, not been able to do I've net cuz I you, you said this you said this earlier in the in the season. Do you the get first, X-ray when you pause it? Uh, no. Yes. We do. <laughs> well, this is Maybe good. that there are different yeah. options when you watch yes, different the thing things. That, that says so the what the characters and who the actors are, and then it also has the location over to the left. Like I've never seen the location. I maybe. just <laughs> noticed it today. I actually feel very uh, good about myself. Okay. Well, yeah. Amazing. All right. Well, I guess I've, I've missed it. Um, all right. Well, uh, I you mentioned this. I, I, I said that because you had you have mentioned this before in the podcast. You said that yeah. in episode one that they told you yeah. the yeah. location. Um, okay, so I guess it's good for our listeners to know that, like, I guess in every uh, application, uh, <laughs> he says begrudgingly, every, everywhere you can find, you can just pause and figure figure that out. Um, but anyway, there he's he's meeting her in the dream world. Now um, she asks him who he is. He starts he starts spitting out, you know, some of his some of his old monikers. names, monikers, father of lies, betrayer of hope, forsaken. He's just spitting rhymes. He says mm-hmm. that uh, the ice and I can't remove her visions. So he's basically Did like, you look, really think Leandrin was going to be able to do this? Yeah. You know, yeah they, they, I love how he does not, 
He doesn't waste a moment to belittle the power of the Aes Sedai. No. He likes to tell them how small they are. And he does that here with men. And in essence, what it seems like is that he is controlling men through the uh, dangling carrot of, I will remove these visions and your your ability to see the future, basically. Because men does, just doesn't want that anymore. And yeah. I don't blame her. Yeah, so I, mm, I, I'm not going to make the, the right comparison, uh, but it, it's kind of akin to uh, like the the Little League World Series. And if like everybody on that team was like, we're the best baseball team ever, uh, like every p- professional team would just be like, what are you talking about? And that's sort of how Ishamel like looks at the Ace of Die now. Because like they're, they're using the same title as when the Ace of Die were powerful. But they're like children now. Right, and we get the uh, like magicians in, in, a, in, in doing like conjuring tricks mm-hmm. from Moraine, um, and so I think that there's this, uh, and it was again in like very much in the books, but we get a little bit of it here. It's just like you guys, are, like you're all the way down there, like you, like you you basically don't matter in terms of like the power that you, that that Ace yeah. and I can truly wield. Well, we saw what he could do to Moraine. That quickly, right? It was very yeah. fast, mm-hmm. and it was mm-hmm. a snap of his fingers. Um, yeah, I, I, I love that we are getting that. I mean, I'm, I'm a sucker for this stuff in fantasy. I like that we know. Okay, the Aes Sedai used to be at X power level. Yeah, they are factors lower than that now. That's why Ashamael talks about them and treats them that particular way. I also think it opens the story up because, for me at least, it seems like there might be opportunity to grow. <laughs> the Aes Sedai used to be much stronger. They're not now. Perhaps what what could, what could we do to make them stronger in the story? That's an interesting Brain. element to me, potentially. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Get to work. Get to work. Get to work. How about them I. channeling babies? I feel like exactly. Alana has been working on it, but I don't know. Everybody else, I guess not. Um, so then we get Rand, who wakes up in the middle of the night and has a, just a really sweet, romantic, amazing scene with Celine, where uh, <laughs> he gets attacked by a fate. And he uh, uses his, cha- he actually channels to fucking burn the fate alive, shout out Rand, <laughs> high five my guy. He burns him alive just yep. from the insides. Uh, I don't think anybody taught him that one. He just seems to know how to do it, which I find interesting. That's a quite actually, it's a question for you, BJ and Brie. Like, um, he, how does he know how to? send one power to the fate in such a way to burn it alive. Is that something that he, are we supposed to assume that Loghain taught it to him off screen? Is it something he just knows? Or is it a naive situation where it just happened because he got angry? Uh, I think that there is an aspect of like, we don't know. Uh, And there are, so there are two types of people uh, that can channel those that, can't help themselves and those get, that can be taught. And so uh, usually the more powerful they are, the more likely that they are to, they're just going to do it themselves. They're, they're going to like fumble around and figure stuff out. And that's sort of like why, like when I was talking earlier on about like people end up killing themselves, like they don't really know what they're doing. And so we already seen Rand use fire before. Sure. Yeah, for um, sure. And so like maybe this seems to be something that like he's sort of stumbled his way into. Okay. Yeah. So it's just something he's learned. He basically has learned. Um, I don't know. It seems like a good power to have. He just burned a motherfucker alive. Uh, and then afterwards, I think if you were on the, 
uh, anti-Celine bandwagon, this would be a scene for you to submit some evidence to the court because she's clearly lying to him and playing a role in this conversation, like p- pretending to be sort of aghast at the fact that he could channel saying, why won't, why won't you tell me about that? Um, he then says, well, they say men go mad. Uh, when they say men go mad, they kill the people they love first. So I'll go as far away as I can. She says, are you saying you love me? Mm-hmm. This is real, folks. Don't, this is absolutely real love here. <laughs> Obsession. So no, no. He said it first. What the fuck? He, and, he, and she immediately is like, oh, oh, let me draw you in. She, she's a very compelling claws. woman. Like He said sure it first. He I, I, look, guys, he said it first. And she just is like, uh, excuse me? Excuse me? Please, re- <laughs> please repeat. <laughs> I don't I don't think I I don't I don't think I heard you Uh, she asked him so then she's like why didn't you tell me about this right he says I did you know for you're the first woman who's seen me as a man uh basically the first woman I've been with and uh I I didn't want you to see me as a monster so she's like you're not you did this and then they have this conversation where BJ you talked about this this conversation before where she says um, you're not, what you did is just a part of your nature. You shouldn't hide it. I did that once. Turn my soul to him like a mirror, reflecting only what he wanted to see. But one day he looked too long, too carefully. You need to give someone the, uh, the chance to love all of you. They might not, but you have to give them that chance. And this is somebody saying basically, I hid part of myself. And when he, when he saw it, he did, he, he rejected me. And I'm probably doing the same thing now to you, Rand. But she's able to sort of meta talk about it to him and say, "This isn't something that you should do. It's not a. It's not a good, not a good behavior, right?" Um, yeah. All of this again. I did I actually, said earlier. I thought that was really human. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did actually like this. This made me feel for Lanfear. Like this is a like, yeah. oof. Like clearly that was a very emotional time in her life, and she recognizes that things that she did may have made it worse yeah mm-hmm. um i don't i don't know if you're you're gonna get to it but like one of the lines that i really like from her which is very much in your camp which is uh when they talk about like you know what do we do now and you know i don't know how much time i have until you know i go mad and and you know if i'm not gonna run away like you know what do we do and and she's like well you know like, I don't know how much time I've had. And she's like, well, it's the same as everybody else. Never enough. Never, Never enough. enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. She, she's a romantic at heart. I'm telling you guys. That, that's, a, that's a fantastic <laughs> An obsessive line. obsessive romantic. She is committed. Committed. Yes. Committed and in love with. Compulsive. Love. Loves. <laughs> Holy crap. It, you know, Rand is initiating a lot of this stuff. It's not, it's not just her. Good Lord. But is at, she pulling the strings? Oh my gosh! You know now. Now we're saying you so, know he says so, so. Rand like has no agency. Like he's just like he's. That I mean, dumb. does he? Do we think he's that dumb? He's pretty dumb. I don't know. I think he genuinely likes her. I think obviously, obviously he there are. She's sexy. Let me be, let me be, let me be honest for a second. All right, I'll, be, I'll cut through the bullshit with Lanfear. Here's what I really think. Right, I think that there she is obviously manipulating him. And she's holding things back from him. And when he finds out who she truly is, mm-hmm. it, there's going to be a reckoning. But there is some percentage of real between these two that is going to linger in the story. Um, okay. sure. There's something going on between them romantically that there is a touch of real there. And I bet you it continues to linger through the seasons. 
That seems reasonable. Lee's unqualified opinions. Lee's unqualified opinions. This segment brought to you by (laughs) TM. Absolutely no one. (laughs) So she says uh, they start they start hooking up, right? They start hooking up, and um, she starts kind of. I don't. Was she transforming or channeling? What was she doing as she was? I don't know. This is my question too. Unclear. But she says, "I'm." A, she's I have a secret for you, Ren. I, 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 I am a, <laughs> just in that voice. Sorry, that was. What was the thing? Okay, so I have a secret for you, Ren. I am a monster. <laughs> no, you just you had a bedroom voice on. It was very uh, okay. Uh, okay, all right. I have a secret for you, Ren. Yeah, <laughs> like I'm, that. I am one of the most evil people in the world, and I'm trying to destroy existence. I now love you're you. Dusty Rhodes. I love you, baby. Yeah, baby. All right. <laughs> oh, for the three people who get that crossover, this is going to have you on the floor. Dan, <laughs> feel out, baby. You know what I'm saying? Uh, yeah, so she says, I'm a monster, too. And we get a montage of Celine and Lanfear waking up. That's the that's the Jon Snow uh, montage I was telling you about. That, uh, yeah. they, did, they did that mm-hmm. type of mm-hmm. um, cutting in, in Game of Thrones. I recognize it here. I liked it a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like that, like, I, it's a, it, was, it was enough that we felt comfortable getting on the podcast and just calling her Lanfear from Jump. Because we feel yeah. like you should know by the end of this episode. Yeah. Um, and now she says, now hurry, we don't have much time. Or no, 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 sorry. Uh, as she starts to channel or transform, uh, Rand starts to get scared. He's like, what the fuck is what happening? Is he? Yeah, he has and then, reaction. whoop, we see a sword go right through her and then Moraine cuts her throat. And in that moment, I'm not a Moraine fan anymore. I just, it's just, whoop, it just flipped. <laughs> she just became the fucking villain. And she says, now hurry, we don't have much time. I'm thinking, you've killed Landfair, you crazy fucking lady i hate you and then she says he says you killed her and he he like kind of manhandles moraine for a second land i gotta say this about my guy rand he's got to stop manhandling women like this it's not (laughs) it's not a cool practice um and he says you killed her and she says i like this line because i feel like it's important to understand the character land he says she says i haven't i couldn't because that's Lanfear, the daughter of the night the most dangerous of the forsaken Mm -hmm. she's been lying to you which I never can. Now we need to run. They take off running, and then we see Celine blink and kind of come back to life toward the end of the episode. So you're saying that Rend is savage? He just—he's a little too like quick Macho to put man. his hand, too too quick to put his hands on women. Um, I don't I don't appreciate that about him. But he he clearly was thinking you fucking killed her, and Moraine is like that's preposterous. Like I <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't remotely kill her. I basically uh, stunned her for a little while so we could get the hell out of here. Yep. Yep. Okay, end of the episode. Cool. I want to point out there, and maybe this can slide into, sure, I could take it as best scene or whatever, but, like, Moraine here, again, with the, like, being real, I don't know if it's foolhardy or brave, desperate, or all of the above, but the fact that she is thinking, you know, hey, I can't channel, I can't do anything Mm -hmm. like that, I don't even have land, and Mm -hmm. I'm going to go track this Forsaken and somehow get the Dragon Reborn away from her like that is insane levels of dedication and bravery that that is really impressive like how terrifying must that be to go up against the most dangerous of the forsaken with nothing no power a, no anything. i mean she literally sword. uses Rand's yeah. sword i she doesn't I don't think even you, have a sword i don't think you needed to hesitate 
I don't think he needed to hesitate on bravery. I think it was extremely brave. Like, yeah, it, it really was. Yeah, she well, was, but it, does it yeah. edge into stupidity, right? Like, like that's mm, no, that's a lot. Well, I don't know. I mean, I, I I was very interested and liked the idea that her commitment to the dragon reborn was still Is intact, or, mm-hmm. still intact from season one, and we mm-hmm. saw it on full display here. That got me energized for her storyline going forward. Yeah, no, absolutely. I just, you know, like to to think that you in and of yourself are enough to go after this very dangerous person with essentially nothing and no backup. It's certainly a little reckless, I would say. Right. I assume that that Lanfear was going to beat the shit out of her later for it. <laughs> I assume she's got she's going to get That's what's coming to her. That's why they're running real fast right Yeah, now. I assume that that Moraine's going to get what's coming to her yeah. for that that move there. Yeah. I I mean, I think the real question in my mind, is why didn't she take Lan? Because they're uh, already split up. Yeah, but like... She doesn't want to kill Lan. I, she thinks that Lan could get killed if he follows her into this Yeah, but like she's, she's not a martial mm-hmm. person. Like, I don't know. It, this, this is sort of one of the things where, you know, at, like that bothers me a little bit about, like, yes, Moraine does this, but like I think that there are reasons that she didn't tell other Aes die, but like pushing away Lan and not telling Lan. Yes, Lan could die, but, like, he's battle-hardened from birth, basically. Right. So, like, That's anyway. what he's supposed to do. Right. Can I can I debut a, a, a bit of a theory on that? Please. Yes. Um, I think that, like... Unsubstantiated Mar- opinion? <laughs> no, this is... Hopefully this is... Unqualified. This, hopefully this doesn't... Oh, yeah. This doesn't meet that, because hopefully this actually has a meat on the bone. I, I, I think that Moraine likes to portray herself as emotionless. For a lot of reasons. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that's true. And I sure. think that part of her doesn't want Lan to see her like this. I think ever mm. since she was stilled, she's been pushing him away. Because there always has been that very real power dynamic that she is the ice to die. She takes care of shit. Remember episode one. She fucking handled business right away in the two rivers when it was yeah. necessary. She doesn't want Lan to see her weak. So I think that she's pushing him away in part for a personal reason. Um, about you know how he views her. Yeah, that could be. I buy that. Qualified by me. All right. <laughs> yes. Look at and that. She is insanely self-sacrificial. Yeah, that. I think that shows that that sort of like manic commitment to the dragon is. Mm. I like that a lot. That's mm-hmm. that's interesting for the story for yeah. me. Mm-hmm. Um, all have, right. So yeah, I'm gonna go with that being my favorite scene. Like that whole thing with Lanfear getting it just. That's your favorite through. scene. When when does the scene yeah. start? I don't know because I kind of like the episode. The it's the episode. <laughs> when, he, when she pulls him in the bedroom. Uh, where are we uh, so I also I also like the the lines where you know Celine talks about when she lost the one that she loves and that you know there's never enough time with the ones that you love and that was you know that really like if there's mm-hmm. anything Human in this her. episode where I was like I'm in Lanfer's camp that that part right there I really. I really enjoyed. Okay. So. Thank you for the honest, uh, the real answer to that question. I was, I was 14 and making a sex joke. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm here for it. Favorite scene, line, snippet, something of the show. Um, I, so I, I'm going to, I need to have a, a quick shout out to Envier. Uh, this isn't the one I'm actually going to nominate, uh, which is you're going to have to ask nicely over tea is just it's such a great line mm-hmm. 
But what I really, the, the line that I, I think I like the most is from Ashamael when uh, he's talking about like what men and won't, will and won't do. And he's like, you will, you might. Mm-hmm. And mm, I like that too. Yeah. It's, it's just, it's, it's such a good view into the lengths that people are willing to go with certain like when they get ba- desperate enough i mean she to a certain yeah. extent she she basically is having chronic migraines right and she's constantly in pain and seeing visions like they come true but and that's part of the pain and i i think we had she gives a snippet of this in season one where she talks about like how problematic that was for her when she was a child and yeah. we get that again in the beginning of this dream and like they they sort of plan the fortune teller thing but like how horrible her aunts were to her i mean this clearly is playing on a reality that she had as a child and so like him tapping into that so well was uh that's pretty cool ishamel's like I, I it's making him a much more interesting villain he's the father of lies he's the betrayer of hope I will say that those lines, I love those lines too. Those lines are so dependent on that actor to make them work in oh, this for scene. Sure. Um, yeah. Because they could fall real flat real fast, but it, I, I thought it was incredibly done. Mm-hmm. I think they've also learned to shoot him better because like the lines that he had in season one at towards the end, they, they just, the actor was doing what he can, but I feel like they've found, like they've found their stride with like how he is did anybody else notice that when he was in telendry road (laughs) telendriod say it again i want to learn aran riod teleron riod teleron riod when he was in teleron riod that it it seemed like when you were from men's perspective watching him that the 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 tape would jump Uh every uh once in a while Mm -hmm. like just a Mm -hmm. second Mm -hmm. and i hope that they continue doing that um if you're getting first person in Teleronriode because like that would be a great way to indicate to you that you're in the in yeah, that, in, yeah, that yeah. in that world. Well, I, like I think that's effective. See. Yeah. Yeah. Got a Wafo folks. Yeah. All right. Yep. My favorite uh, scene. I, there is one quick comment on that scene that I didn't quite realize until a little bit later that Min doesn't did not know that Leandrin was black or there there like Min had no idea until this moment that she was making a deal with the dark side of things. Yes. Yeah. And I think that that's an important thing to point out in the show is that like Leandrin was putting her up to it. And then we see that the Shamael is involved in it. Right. Like, right. I think that's a connection that's important for people to make. Mm-hmm. That, that, and that's I think not, it, yeah. hopefully it makes men a little bit more sympathetic in the things that she does, because maybe you recognize that she, she at least initially was not making a deal with with bad people. She just wanted to get rid of her powers. And now she's in deeper and she's like, well, mm-hmm. well, crap. Like, I I really do want my powers gone. And I mean, I don't want to hurt Matt, but like... You will. You can. You, <laughs> yeah, might. you might. You might. So I'm going to sound like Tony Soprano here because it's like when you have somebody who is has such a debilitating pain... That is a real danger to your organization yes, because absolutely. that person is going to be chasing above all else, removing that pain. Right. So you really don't need men around. Like you need mm-hmm. to, you need to throw her in the Hudson in season one. <laughs> like men needs to get out of, out of the picture. Cause she's going to, 
through no fault of her own, be a liability. Yes, right. Um, all right, my favorite scene was the hiking scene with um, beautiful with Lanfear and mm-hmm. Rand when there's a certain moment where she's talking to him and she's talking about remembering and remember and you know she's clearly talking about Lewis and then she just like really earnestly hugs him and pulls him close to him. Yeah. Um, if you find her going and having a relationship with Rand like obsessive and weird and creepy, then like this scene isn't for you. But I find it like marginally romantic. Like there's a sliver of it that's romantic. So when she like grabs him and pulls him closer and I read into some of the scenes, I could see how maybe not everybody does, but I read into some of the scenes that the dialogue was telling us that Lewis might've carried on his affair with her longer than people realized. There was a a lot of alone time she was referencing that Mm -hmm. they needed to get away from people. That's the type of thing you're doing when you're having an affair so I would not have been surprised um, if that was a little bit of a reveal uh, for show canon. Mm. So all of that together was a, was a super interesting thing, especially since we're finally at a point where I can talk about what she's really saying. <laughs> yeah. Fair. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to go strict favorite line here. And this is actually, God knows, I didn't know that this was going to come out of my mouth. This is actually from Leandrin. Whoa. <laughs> um, when she's talking to Nynaeve, um, and she says, the three oaths bind us to speak the truth to others, not ourselves. Um, and I I love this line coming from this character specifically, but I also think that it is such an interesting insight into the real underlying fallibility of... Mm-hmm even people who have, even and perhaps especially the people who we think of as the most powerful in this world, and the the fact that they are still intensely human um, and subject to all of the lies that we tell ourselves. And we see that again and again throughout this this episode specifically um, in these conversations between Rand and Celine, uh, in what, um, in what, how Leandrin has been, has been living, in how Moraine is really acting um, and her behaviors and her choices. Uh, I think that that's a super, this ability of an Aes Sedai to continue to lie to themselves, even as they can't speak lies to others, is super interesting to me. And it infiltrates other characters as we're going through this episode. I think it's, I think it's super cool. And for Leandrin to have that kind of personal insight yeah. is, and to share it out loud with another person Mind blowing. Look at her grow. <laughs> I don't know if it's growth, but oh. she did a thing. <laughs> she did. Oh, I think she's stuck between a rock and a hard place. Mm. Um, I agree with you, Sarah. I think that because I had that marked as well, and I think that's just such a such a good line. So I want to actually talk about that line a bit more uh, because of how important it is uh, to the series and. So important in context. So, uh, Sarah, do you remember what Leandrin does at the end of this episode? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, she blows back our intrepid trio. Yep. With she, a bunch do of you magic. remember what the three O's are? No. <laughs> well, one is, so, so one is, you, so let's go through them. One yeah. is you will not lie. You can't lie. One is that you will not use the spell that compels someone to do something, to force someone to do something. Okay, and one is doing violence against using the... It might yeah. be in the show, I don't remember. But one is not using the one power, except... As a weapon. Except in... Right, as a weapon. As a last resort. 
yeah. for the defense of yourself or your warder. I don't know if that's in the show. But yeah. So, so y'all were, the, the, I think it's important to put it, y'all were, because they can't see you, y'all were cocky in your head at the thing I said where I said, um, you can't compel someone to do something. I got yeah. that from earlier. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, 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 I just, yeah, I don't know. Um, it, a hundred percent could be. I think that might be a show. For the show. It might be a show thing. Yeah. So in, in the books, it's uh, speak no word is on that that is untrue. Uh, not use the one power and except in the defense of your life or the life of your warder. And the third is not to make any weapons with the power. I yeah. think um, because there's a whole thing about power brought weapons, which we'll see if they do in the show. Um, so I think it's much more interesting in context because Leandrin either is, has massive lies that she's telling herself that she's not using the one power as a weapon against the girls mm-hmm. or isn't bound by the three oaths. She's not bound by the mm-hmm. three oaths. I think that's, I think that's the implication I, of that scene, right? I, I think that's the implication yeah. of that scene and some other scenes that we probably have had with Leandrin. Yeah. Uh, but, but I think it's very important but the other really interesting thing, because like I talked about this in season one, uh, before we knew that Moraine was a Damadred and uh, uh, noble of it, she says, you know, I'm a, a minor, uh, a noble of a minor house, mm-hmm. which was true. And so one of the big but things that's in the no book, longer true. Well, it's maybe. not minor anymore. Um, one of the big things in the book is is there's a phrase that everybody says is that the words that Nesadai says. Uh, don't mean like that you hear don't mean what you think they mean yeah and like you always have to take them with a grain of salt and it's so interesting that like even within the that bound oath like the things that they can say and what conclusions people draw from and even in this episode there are a whole bunch of times where Anveyor says something and Brain just uh as uh there's a show that that we all like you know rejects the premise and just says something else and it's just like <laughs> or like perhaps lunch and you're like yeah you're never gonna get lunch mm-hmm. um and then the thing that she said to Logan, which was if i'm satisfied with your res- the results and i will help you with this and it's just like that's a big if Right, like, she has you know, to be if, satisfied. And, and she says at the end, like, all of the things that, that she says, like, have, like, these intricate meanings and every mm-hmm. ace to die. And so, like, it's a very interesting way that they can see things and, like, what they're talking about is either a lie and, again, or, like, they can play with their own belief and it's a lie well, or it isn't. Yo, I, I find this interesting that one of the core oaths of the Aes Sedai is not to lie, right? Mm-hmm. But because that is their oath, it seems like people are more on guard for them lying than they are with other people. Mm-hmm. Like, we don't hear people, like, talking to fucking Perrin and just being like, hey, you got to watch out what Perrin says. Although Perrin can lie fucking at his head. Yeah, he, he can, can just, as much as just lie. But, yeah. people but are does more he have con- enough IQ points for that? that? <laughs> probably not. So that is a great observation. Um, I... It that is something that I think we should spend a lot of time talking about probably in a couple of seasons when I'll know whether or not they do certain things. And Indeed. It, it, it is a very interesting topic that they deal with a lot in the books. Uh, and in terms of like what, how you view the people in power and like why you trust them and whether you should. Well, I'm going to take a uh, resolution to the floor uh, of the house to remove the Emerlin seat and see if I can get 
a majority plus one uh, <laughs> and override her. We've we got to get a new Amberlin in here. I Apparently mean, it's easy to remove woo. these political leaders these days, so I'm going to do that. I'm uh, get rid of the I think you'd have the Reds behind you. All right, we're going to award best character. Oh, no. Um, uh, Bree, you've heard no, all the nominees. Good. I mean, yep. I already said I was I was on You're sticking that one? Yep. coattails there. Great. Okay. All right. She's the official winner, not me. Again this week. Oh, Again. Another loss. Oh, Again. For, oh for 4 uh, this season. All right, let's go to best characters. Um, you mean winner ahead, and Terry. loser? Oh, yeah. Who won and lo- oh, yeah. lost? Yeah, Oof. winners and losers. Yeah. Okay, well, Lanfear won the episode. There's no question there. And did she also did lose she? the episode? No, she did not. Uh, <laughs> I mean, no, she got her chest run through with a sword and got she's fine this is you <laughs> we have we have got to start using the different ruler for her you know when it, when, <laughs> when bj's talking about like well she's old okay. and therefore the, the the age is different I'm like nah, that doesn't count with her and her getting run through with a sword is, is nothing actually if, any, if anything it's going to be a real problem for moraine when That's she gets up <laughs> okay you, okay all right all right i see you yeah no she, okay, yeah, she did, she did get busy go. for sure. So Lee, actually, now I, I've figured out where I can, uh, you know, pin you down with this is oh, shit. she loses Rand at the end of this. Did she? I mean, he runs away with Moraine. So here's how, here's how fucked up I am in the game with the Forsaken. I just assume she's going to go run and get him back immediately. Like she's so powerful. <laughs> I don't, I, mean, maybe, I don't know. Yeah, this is sure? like when. The, yeah, but the point is, is where she ended the episode. Right. Okay. Well, not that... what's going to happen. So where she ended the episode is her lover boy is gone and she got stabbed Wait, in the whoa, chest and whoa. slit. I, whoa, absolutely. Her soulmate. Uh, have a, have is an that issue better? with lover boy uh, being tossed around, bandied about. Don't, don't appreciate it. Uh, um, they're lovers and he's a boy. Uh, not a boy, man, definite, definite man. And also uh, <laughs> rebirth of the most powerful fucking person who's going to save the world. I Here's the thing. I I get your point about Lanfear potentially being the winner and the loser. I would also like to nominate um, Nynaeve as a real loser this episode. I mean, mm. she runs in place the whole episode and then gets played by Leandrin and fucking thrown against the wall. Yeah. yeah. I would like to put forward, and this might also be the only time that this happens, I would like to put forward Perrin as a winner of this episode. Aww. He literally just learned about his power and made a little wolf buddy. A wolf, a wolf he, he learned the name of his dog. So, and he learned he's not going to turn are, into they both are mourning. Mm-hmm. They both are mourning their mate. They're both mourning their mate. I, like, I think that he had oh a very God. good episode. He did. Do we remember Perrin's mate's name? Really? Uh, yeah, she didn't really exist. Okay. <laughs> she was in Telelandri Road. Yeah. Because she was a dream character. Yes. All right, BJ, she's just loser. a bad dream. Um, I'm going to say uh, winner of the episode is Ashamel. Fuck uh, yeah. I just agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> Every episode. We, uh, on Amazing. this side of the podcast, we, there's some Forsaken fans. I'm just going to let you know. Yeah, no yeah. kidding. Uh, and Dark friends. I'm going to say uh, Logan as the loser of the episode. Yeah. Oh, that's a fair that's point. That's a good yeah. call, BJ. Yeah. Good call. Hmm. So Bree's got uh, Lanfear as the loser. Well, actually, I, I think, because I was trying to pick, you know, some different people, I... Um, I might propose Min as a loser because she mm. she learns yeah. that not only was she, 
like, has she not made it to the next step where she can successfully get her power removed? But she's also having to now make a deal with the devil, essentially, to do this. And so, like, the, the you know, her, her treat, her, you know... Reward. Reward <laughs> is getting moved further and further away, and it's coming with bigger <laughs> and bigger complications. Um, and I think... It's the devil's carrot. Yeah, it, it is a devil's carrot, and she is following it, and... It's sad. Like, it's... Mm-hmm. Chrissy yep. can't stop chasing that heroin. That's Chrissy right. Can't, Chrissy right. can't stop chasing yep. the heroin. Hey, I, I, uh, I think that, like, this conversation is really illustrating what this episode did in the overall storyline, which was give a lot of people L's. Mm-hmm. And I actually think that's a great mid, mid-season episode. For, yep. Fourth episode, so For a yeah. lot of people yep. to take L's and to go a step backwards so that you're kind of invested in, like, how people are going to come back from all of these setbacks. I think mm-hmm. that's a... It's a great like um, illustration of where we are in the season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, agree. All right. I don't know that uh, I have a winner. I, well, so I'm gonna. So. Ashamel is definitely the winner. Uh, I'm deciding that. What? Uh, I'll stand behind that. Cosigns. No, three out of four. Three to one. Three. <laughs> three out of four. Uh, I don't know. Lo- losers. Losers. A little t- tougher. Uh, I, I think that that Lanfear and Min are are sort of both at, at different ends of the losing stick. Wait a second. I have to. I have to interject. It, since you're considering Lanfear as a loser, she also was technically released this episode. So how the hell could she be the loser when she was technically released from a multi-hundred-year prison? This episode. Maybe she liked being in. Prison. I think we forgot to consider the, that that opening scene. That that we flashback. Well, I mean, just, yeah. It happened within the bounds of the episode, I suppose. I, yeah, she she even, she was born and she died in the same episode. Very complete. Even with the disrespect that even with all of this conversation, I would still put Min as my loser of the episode. Like I just, ugh, yeah, it heart. The whole thing is heartbreaking for me. Yep, that's a tough one. She's got a she's got a rough existence, and I don't think it's going to get any better. Yeah, nope, doesn't seem that way. All right. And well, this now, was... Lee, you're proposing that you know everybody scram from her because she is a a bomb about to go off. She would be. She would be. She'd go. You know what she would do? She would go on a midday post lunch ride on Tony Soprano's boat on the Hudson. <laughs> uh, we'd never see men again. Nope. <laughs> Floating away. All right. Uh, All right. This was a great episode. This was a lot of fun this to talk. Yeah, through. this was really fun, guys. Thank you, guys. I appreciate yeah. it. Uh, it. Makes the sh- watching the show a lot more fun. Uh, we will be back. Sarah and I will be back with you next week to review yep. episode six. Cool beans. Or five. 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 Yes, five. All right. Talk with you later. See ya. All right. Now we're in spoiler territory. So if you haven't Yay. read the books, you don't want to be spoiled. You should have stopped. Uh, at our linker music. Uh, Now's but, your sign. Yeah, if you didn't, turn it off now. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, like more nods and like future things in the book that they seem to be doing in the show, uh, trying to get us away from divert like how we're diverting from the books because it's there are a whole lot of things. Um, so I mean, for instance, like Maureen doesn't have a sister, right? She like, has, like a niece or something. Yeah. So in in that vein. Uh, I think that they are doing some nods to Swan in the Little Tower with uh, her sister taking over her eyes and ears because that's what oh, sure. Swan does with the 
blue eyes and ears and like runs that for uh Egwene, but like that's how she sort of like proves her worth and like maintains her right. her focus what when she, while she's stilled um and so i think that was a nod and i don't think that they're gonna do that exact thing because that i feel like i mean it's just extra stuff that i i don't think it's gonna be super relevant depends on how they do Sawan's story yeah um but i think there's plenty that they can do with that character that does not involve having the blues eyes and ears yes um, anyway, and the the line that I was trying not to say because I feel like it would get in all sorts of trouble with spoilers if, as long as they they wanted to spend more time on it than than just being like okay, well that's the thing, which is they they have Cage Shadow Killer uh, as oh, one yes, of like the, the top three lines in yeah. like all of the the books that everybody obsesses about. But I think Perrin says that to the wolves, but. Uh, or he he says like they've caged Rand and they say they 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 have caged Shadow Killer. We come and, right. We come. Yeah. We come. We come. Yeah. Um, I think you know there's there's so many things that are different here. I do think that like I'm actually very interested that they actually really enjoyed the Wolf Brother scene because I think that those visions just don't match what I think of when when I read those. Uh, parts of of parents exploratory journey and but I don't think that you you can match like what I was envisioning what probably Robert Jordan was envisioning and I think I guess they're doing a fine job yeah I mean like <laughs> but he, I just he, he had like it. imagery just in his head and so it's just like it it's it fine. just looks like it's dorky to have it like ooh, look at the stag running through the trees and it's like okay yeah but I think that's very Harry Potter so yeah, yeah. I don't know it's weird it just it really struck me very oddly yeah but i like the you know the exposition the stuff that we got from elias i think all of that was really helpful to help people understand like what this power might be um and what's going to happen to perrin yeah so it's interesting because like they didn't have the scene with the dude that thought he was a wolf and i was trying to decide whether i wanted to bring that up to them Mm because that's in like book one or two right that's really early on i think it's like when uh Perrin and Egwene are split up from Rand and Matt after yeah, Shadow Logoth mm-hmm. and he knows a little bit about the like he's had some Just like enough to be dangerous like wolf visions and stuff like that and talked about it with Moraine on the run to Shadar Logoth right uh because uh he says something about like wolves being in his dreams and and Moraine goes oh, like oh you might have wolf powers so I don't need to worry about your dreams in reference to Ashamel like invading them. Right. And so then he sees this wolf boy and is afraid of the wolf powers, then meets Elias and they spend some time with Elias and then uh, the tinkers and then Elias and then they, goes his own way. He but, kills the white cloaks and right. picks up the axe and all these things, which he still doesn't happened. have an axe, which is kind of annoying. So it can't be young, but whatever. Speaking of things that I was tentatively excited about for this episode, showing the, um, the quarterstaff training with the warders when Nynaeve goes down there yeah. to see if Maxim and Ivan are around. Yeah. So that like made me hopeful that maybe we will get Ran or sorry, Matt. uh Matt's scene against the warders. I don't know if that's gonna happen, but at I least mean, we've seen a quarterstaff. If we staff. don't get that, then we might not have Gowan, which would eliminate one of the most that annoying would be great, characters actually. ever. Anyway. But um, then who yeah, are they who gonna knows? pair Egwene off? Who knows? Um You're like, I don't care. She doesn't deserve anyone. No. Uh, also, I thought it was really funny that, that Lee was just like, yeah, you know, she's not going to be at the end. 
not going to have a role. It's like, wow, okay. That's fair. She has a big role, but it is not the role that she may necessarily envision right now. Uh, Um, I did think, and this is something that's very different from the books, is the between Leanne or Lelaine, whatever, and the Merlin. So the Keeper and the Merlin in the books are very in lockstep. They, they are very much on the same page. And we already see signs that that is not the case in this world. Yeah. So when the Keeper and Leandrin have that discussion and the Keeper is like, oh yeah, I'm speaking with the Merlin because I'm the Merlin when the Merlin's out, basically. Yeah. Like uh, that, that to me was strange because that did not fit with the Keeper in the book. Yeah. And the Keeper, like, wasn't really vice president. It was more just like semi-secretary, semi, like kind of more like a chamberlain for right. for the Emerlin seat rather than like the second. In, I mean, she still sort of is the second in command, but like. But it has very distinct duties. Has some distinct duties, definitely. But also like pretty much anywhere the Emerlin goes, the keeper goes to. Right. And then announces her. Does right. All the and like somebody else is in charge of the tower while the Amarillins away as opposed to like, and, and also like a ton of Ace are usually traveling with the Amarillin seat when she does go. Cause this is very much, this is more than a head of state, at yeah. least in the books. It's right. unclear like how things are in the show, but like, it's very weird to have them separate. I mean, obviously it's going to be the actors have things that they're doing and so can't be in all the episodes, but it's, it's still kind of a weird thing, you know? And I think this, leans even more into they're kind of replacing Aleda with Leandrin, uh, like with these comments, because that's stuff that Aleda kind of was doing. Right, it, very early on. Yeah. And the comment about, you know, if if she falls, right, if the Merlin falls, you fall too. Right. And so setting up for there is going to be some sort of political upheaval within the tower, which yep. we know we know is coming, Okay. It came in the books. It, it came in the books. I assume yeah. they it are It seems putting, like it's still coming. Yeah. But, like, it's unclear exactly how it would play out. I've, there were, I don't know, there are a whole lot of people that, you know, we expected Aleda to, to be black, and she wasn't. She was just red. But her keeper was black, and it made, like, a whole thing. I feel like it, it slims that down if it's just Leandrin, because, you know, yes, there may be reasons to have her outside the tower at some point, but, like, not really, because they just kind of, like, dick around in uh i don't know one of the the shore nation in, not in tier uh where amathera is oh um panch no she's the panarch panarch of something of i don't some remember yeah like anyway they're, they're somewhere out in the west like messing around trying to find a bunch of terangriel to control the dragon and it doesn't go anywhere and nothing happens and you honestly don't need leandrin and having her be the face and basically take over a lot of what Aleda does. It makes sense. Yeah, it, yeah. it's fair. Anyway. Yeah, I think they've done a, a good job with that. And I think that's part of what makes this season better is you have very strong supporting actors and actresses that are supporting our young cast. And I think that that, that is helping because they have they have really strong characters to to flesh out the scenes yeah and i think that that taking on some other roles condensing certain things makes a lot of sense um and i think it's and but they are doing it in a darker way um and i don't think that's a terrible thing you know we'll see we'll see how it plays out i just hope they don't go like 
real dark. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think they need to keep themselves separate from Game of Thrones. And, that, right. you know, I, I guess I, that's what I'm a little bit worried about right. is they're going to get to that point of severity. Right. Uh, this Although is, we've got some rough times coming up. Yeah. I mean, we definitely have rough times, but like this is a series about light and dark and light triumphs in the end. And right. like, yes. You can't have it all be dark. <laughs> right. Um, and, you know, that's, you know, I have voiced concerns continuously with you, which is like they need a lot of things to go right. And if, you know, yes, some people need to take some losses, but like if everybody's always taking losses, like for light to eventually win is so hard that the dark side needs to be really dumb. And I think that that takes away a lot of the interesting things that happen on the, like with some of the Forsaken and some of the dark characters. But honestly, like they're not Jordan's strongest suit. Like he doesn't write evil as well as he could. Um, and I think that making everything darker and maybe writing the evil better is going to make a triumph of good harder to palette, which I hope that they don't go that dark. Yeah. <clears throat> and I think, you know, part of that, they've made some really, I think, strong selling points in the evil category by giving several of the evil characters really good lines and good perspectives. Like Leandrin is a fairly complex character. She has a lot of things that she thinks about and that she's contemplated and that she struggles with. And a lot of that is coming out. And then you have like all of Celine's lines this episode. Yeah. You know, all of this stuff where like, you know, Lee and I went back and forth about, is it obsession? Is it love? And you don't have that unless you have a fairly interesting character on scene. Right. On, and on, on the screen. So I think that they've been doing really interesting things with Celine slash Lanfear. Uh, I don't know if they're going to go into like, at, you know, at some point Ran just goes like, uses her real name and it's just like, yeah, you're always power hungry. And it, you know, was kind of clear that you were mostly with me to gain power and you wanted to tap this unwieldy, like new source of power that I was like, yeah, maybe, you maybe, should. but like, let's research it a bit more. And you opened a bore in the dark ones prison. So, Oops. uh, yeah. unclear where exactly that was in relation to, uh, breaking them breaking up. up. Right. Uh, I think it was before they broke up, but again, that, that's also unclear. You know, right. who knows? Um, but yeah, it, it's sort of hard to, um, I'm pretty sure it was before, uh, like the boar. Uh, it's kind of hard to be like, all right, well, this is the person that bored into the dark one's prison and kind of led the forces of dark afterwards ish. Um, and be like, no, no, she's, on the up and up and just loves Rand uh, yeah. for, for who he is. Uh, yeah. I mean, there, I, I think we're going to see some really unpleasant stuff from Lampier because we absolutely have to, because right now she's a fairly likable character yeah. and that's a problem. Um, so the other thing, you know, I said this a little bit before, but I think it it's worth reiterating. So Leandrin has been getting lines from good characters in the books and getting scenes from good characters in the books. So yeah. the conversation, the interactions that Leandrin has with Nynaeve are either from interactions Swan. <laughs> from Swan or from Moraine. Right. Cause like she, Moraine talks to her about like, speak no word that is untrue, but like if your beliefs are wrong, you can say wrong things, say wrong things. And that is like one of, one of, you know, one of the big caveats 
And so giving these lines to Leandrin, I think, makes her more interesting. But I also think is kind of a mistake with, you know, taking them away from the Amberlin because she's just a person now. Yeah, like literally we uh, don't care about her at all. Which might not be a bad thing if you can't, just can't get that actor to like be in scenes regularly. Right. So like it makes sense, especially if she's going to get deposed and everything else that she's not getting a lot more fleshing she's out. She's a much more minor character. Uh, yeah. And you also, again, don't see uh, Moraine understanding the limitations of the Aes Sedai quite as much in the show as you do in the books. And I think it makes her a weaker character in the show. And I think she's still a great character, but like, I, you don't get the same like revelation of depth that you do in the books with a lot of these things when, you know, she starts letting in the power girls into like the scenes behind, you know, the facade. Right. Um, I think to go on a lighter note, I'm going to, pick up on something that I think Lee and Sarah probably just completely ignored, which is this is the first time we see, well, first time we see this, Matt, anyway, uh, dicing. Yes. And we get mention of, you know, who's winning, which is not Matt. And I just, I think that's a nice little callback to the books of his very early on that he didn't always win. He wasn't always lucky. And then that power grows as he... Except that first night when he breaks out of the tower and he wins every oh, single sure. toss. But that's... Yeah. I sort of hope that they do something like that because right now Matt has nothing and... He's a bit of a loser. Yeah. It's kind and of And he's being... Un- un- unfortunately, they've stuck him with Min, who we've already talked about, has a lot of problems in this, in the show. Um, she's a very different character. Um, I think... I actually like what they did with her this episode. Like, I think this is the most interesting aspect. I'm a little bit worried about where they're taking her because I think that, as Lee pointed out, like, she could be a huge problem if she is very close to Rand. And I have no idea if they're even ever going to do that. Yeah. Like, if she doesn't accept her power, she's a problem. And I think Lee's spot on on that. And she doesn't seem to be getting closer, which her being closer to Moraine... And a bunch of other people seems to, like, make her much more accepting of, of her power. We'll say. Indeed. I think one more thing, one last thing that we need to talk about is the Saw. Oh, yes. Um, I'm very excited about this. So hopefully everybody that, that is here caught this. But um, I think this is a really interesting direction that they're going. But they you saw this black stuff creeping across the eyes of Lanfear as she was being resurrected at least in quotes you know coming back from the stabbing and the throat cutting um i think that they're doing either the pulling of of the power from the dark one you know true power whatever um as either that is exerting his control and not letting her die or and I, i i don't think it's conscious i think that's sort of where they're going with this i mean she looked pretty not conscious yeah, and so I think this is sort of the Dark One asserting control and, and making sure his forcing this, don't die. Yeah, forcing this power into her. We'll see if they're able to use it. Because that's um, absolutely not how it was in the books, right? Like, the true source was channeled by them consciously. Yeah, it was, cha- it was done consciously. It had sort of other properties. You had to be very well favored by the Dark One to, to even have access to, to it. it. Yep. Um, and 
I think that they're if they don't play with it, it does weird things for very far down the line. And yep. also it's interesting because the saw wasn't a thing until you were using that power so a much. lot. Right, because that was actually like somebody I think one of the male Forsaken Ishamel. Yeah, was just like, holy shit, like must be using it a lot because you can see it going across the eyes. Yeah, like he had it across his eyes and other Forsaken were yeah. freaked out that he had so well He's been touching they didn't it know so it was much. him because it was Morden, but like it was it's a whole thing. Uh and that's important for for late reasons book reasons uh and all sorts of weird things but like i think that it was cool that they were doing i think that they're acknowledging the dark one having direct power or power coming from him early on i Maybe. hope that's the case that that's what they're doing or they're just going wild putting saw on yeah but eyeballs. yeah i mean i mean i think you know it's not, i think it's not a bad deviation from the books to have that be the signifier for the dark ones actual like touching the world touching the world personal power having the true power or whatever it is right uh that that's when that's acting and that's the the signal that you get yep um what do you think she was channeling there at the end when her and rand were in bed right before maureen threw the sword through her what do you think she was gonna do or show uh, I think that she was going to show Ram that she could channel and, uh, hold him down with air while she had his, her way with him. Okay. Oh. uh, interesting. So, or I have one other theory and I, I don't know if they're going to do this. So and I, can I tell you what I thought she was going to yes. do? So when I first watched this episode, I thought she was going to unmask herself from her mask of mirrors and yeah. she was going to turn into a completely different person. Yeah. So that's where I thought that was going. And then we do actually see Lanfer herself and she's still the same actress, which I think is actually a good call. You see her Lanfer herself. Like when she's in the world of dreams and she appears to Rand, like sure. clearly yeah, yeah, they're not yeah. going to yeah, make the it. They're not going to yeah, do yeah. a bait and switch yeah. later on. We know that now. But when I saw this episode, I thought she was in the process of removing her mask of mirrors and was going to be a completely different person. Yeah. And that's what she was preparing to do is to show herself to Rand and be like, all right, I'm, I'm no longer hiding part of me. Yeah. That's kind of what I was hoping. Cause that's what we get in the books. And it, it would have been a, a, an interesting way to reveal that. I think that there are ways that they could still do it, but I think it's a good idea for them not to do it. Cause then you're going to have people that are confused and then you're going to have to exactly. explain masks of mirrors and, and all these other, it, like, and as much as maybe you might've had some doubts about this actress, I think she's doing a very strong job as a Celine Lanfear combo. Yeah. And I think that you will have some very upset people. Lee might be in that camp that will be like, but I don't want this actress. I want, I want the old one. Right. I want Celine. Um, and I think they could have honestly made that decision kind of on the fly too like this sure. could have been a turning like this could have been like if they wanted to opt out like this could have been they where they did it and then they de decided not to and basically completely changed her costuming some of it's uh of a taste that i'm not 100 percent sure about but you know we'll see what do you mean the weird lace-up high heel oh yeah it, it's a choice yeah yeah that's fair uh but we'll we'll have to talk about that in the next episode. Well, it's been fun, guys. We'll see you then. Yes, indeed. Until next time. <laughs>